It's like old school Russian. Three, two. There's something I like about the fact that you can smoke in here. Yeah. I like that people can be relaxed. You Thank know? you. I had to find a comedy club to shoot our special where that, where Dave can smoke. <laughs> where, where, where'd you go? Comedy cellar. The underground. Yeah. The underground, they let you smoke? Well, no, but you know. they let him smoke. <laughs> I think there's like a rule where mm. if you're a performer, you can get away right. with it because it's a part of your routine. The, like a cabaret, old, yeah. like on the still on the books? <laughs> Don't take my word for that. I, I believe I learned that from Dice while he was on stage. Yes. I think you read that in the Dice Chappelle <laughs> manual. <laughs> yeah, well, they just can get away with it, right? Yeah, Dave's always smoking on stage. No, I, I, do, I don't smoke anymore, but uh, I'll tell you one thing. That, that year in between, like, were you not allowed to smoke on stage? That was a tough year. Because you used to, like, smoking and the crowd smoking, right. and, you know, it was, like, well, kind of a fun thing. A punchline enhancer, too, right? Mm -hmm. Dave, you do smoke on stage. Not all the time. <laughs> like, towards the end of it, maybe. Not only that, but when we were on the road and we'd do, like, an hour and a half, he'll pretend he's getting a phone call or something. And he'll go smoke and leave me on stage by myself. Really? Yeah, but it gives you a chance to, like, open up a long-form bit. Oh, nice. Now you're hearing it, Joe. You're now nice. you're really hearing the whole story behind the bumping mic. When you... Behind the bumping mic. What do you get out of smoking on stage? It just fulfills the nicotine fix, or does it actually give you something? Because they say... it. I've I've smoked a I smoked one of Tony Hinchcliffe cigarettes a couple of times before I went on stage, uh -huh. and you get like a, a pick me up. There's a little something you get like a an enhancement. I, yeah, I, I I'll say it right now it definitely is a weakness that like you know now I don't drink don't do anything but like coffee and cigarettes it's like yeah. it's breathing for me but uh, on stage it does focus it helps focus you. They say you know? it's legitimately they say new, nicotine is actually a good nootropic. Which oh, is, is it? A, yeah, it actually enhances cognitive function. Like if you do a test without nicotine, then do a test with nicotine. Really? It's non-users. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me nauseous if I accidentally smoke a blunt and not just straight weed or something. Oh, really? Just tobacco. Like Snoop handed me something the other day, and I thought it was all pop, but there was tobacco in there. These things are the shit. What these is blunts. It? There's a. I can deal with it on the on the paper. Jamie, where'd you get these? Where were they at? Uh, the, this company, Hollywood's. For I don't know the stores. Like these Hazel are the shit. These huh. these are my favorite. I'll have yeah. to check them out. It's uh, Charlie Murphy got me into these things back in the day because mm -hmm. uh, he would roll them himself. He would get those Swisher sweets and he would tear them apart and then he'd put the weed inside of it and roll it oh. up. Oh, yeah, old school. And then uh, Chappelle got me into it again because I smoked one with him one day uh, at the back of the comedy store. I was like, "Damn, this is a weird high." Hmm. Yeah, what is high, it like? You get a buzz. It's like you're a little bit high, but you're also a little bit buzzy from mm -hmm. the from the tobacco. Wow, I like yeah. it. I'm a fan. Whatever it takes to make the jokes fly, bro. Yeah. Mm. Whatever they Stay were smoking the sherm, when they made your jacket. <laughs> Dave, will smoke, Dave will smoke a cigarette right before Good we one, go Joe. on, and I'll, and I'll take like one hit of weed right before we go on, and we meet in the middle. Yeah, one hit's good. One hit before. Yeah, not right. too much. No. Okay. Yeah, have you gone too much before? No. Not, not in a long, 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 long time. Yeah. You feel like, ah, I'd like one more, but ooh, that's a dangerous, dangerous decision. Yeah. You want to stay a little quick. Coffee, though. I need coffee before I mm -hmm. eat. Yeah. Red Bull will make me too, like, jumpy and nervous, but coffee will get my brain working just a little bit quicker than the audience's. Did you guys do this one time as a goof and then start touring with it, or did you just put the idea together? Like, how, wh what made you decide to work together like this? You know, it, it all started out just late night at the Comedy Cellar where, you know, I'd be on stage and I would just 
see Jeff in the room and I would bring him up and then we would just, you know, like throw down basically and have a great time. And, you know, we kept doing it and doing it and people actually would, you know, like they wanted to see it. It became like this kind of like, are you guys going to go up together? They would always ask us, are you guys going up together? Should we get the next mic going? You know, that kind of thing. How it really... When I started living in L.A., or not even when I started, but in the last few years, I'd come back to New York. I have an apartment in Greenwich Village near the Comedy Cellar. And, you know, it's like cheers. Everyone knows your name. You, you land. You're, you go Instead of going to my empty apartment, I'll go, let's see who's at the cellar, get something to eat. And I'd, I'd start booking my flights where I'd land around midnight. Dave would, would inevitably have the 1 a.m. spot. And I, would, I just wanted to get my yayas out, and he would just bring me up. And he'd sit by the piano, and I would goof off, or I'd sit by the piano, and he would tell jokes. And we started setting each other up, and organically, our friends started popping up with us, or people from the audience, or whatever bachelorette party. And we just started making an act out of it without even realizing it. Yeah, it it was like, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Like in the beginning, especially because it was like, you know, he really kept me on my toes. Like listening is like the hardest thing. Listening on stage, right. you know, right? Because uh, once you're up there alone, locked in, you know, like you control all like facets of of the performance. But when there's another person up there, especially Jeff and I, we we have so many different skill sets. So like, it was really cool to like work off of him. It brought up my game a bit. It definitely made me quicker and faster and funnier. To have to like you know really pretty much roll with it you know and I I think that the crowd dug that too it was like a different energy than just straight up like a showcase you know the one thing that you would do on a podcast that you wouldn't normally do on stage which is look at someone else right and it took me a long time and I think I could speak <laughs> yeah, we for had Dave too a million arguments on looking at each other I'm like not like Dave, a couple it's like sports if you look at somebody yeah. you, you're never gonna not catch that ball. But when you're wondering what the other guy's doing and you're kind of going like this, but when I, it's like, it's like we connect now. And instead of doing like in tandem, one at a time jokes, we do jokes together. That's yeah, that, hard. W- w- like, that's a weird thing where like you see <laughs> twins where twins will do an act and one guy will do the setup and the other guy will do the <laughs> yes. punchline and then they do a double punchline together. We're hoping for that one day. <laughs> I feel like. Too coordinated. I feel like it's one plus one equals three. You know, two headliners get together by choice, not by necessity. Yeah, yeah. But and then, and then Dave. You know, I, I. It took a lot. Dave did not want to go to Montreal. We went up to the comedy festival, and I basically begged him. Yeah, and to uh, do it together. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 just, I saw it mostly as just like a fun thing to do. It's a hobby you know, you know, at the cellar. Yeah, like it was just like a cool, like you know, basically like just let it all hang out. But Jeff saw like I guess the next step to it. So. I always just thought it was something that if the comics wanted to see it that bad, and then more and more comics wanted to come on stage with us, and then more and more, like, Jim Carrey came to one of our shows in Montreal, and and, and, and all the headliners started popping up with us, and I thought, oh, this is more than just us as a hobby. Like, this is something that no one else is really doing. Yeah, I, I, I got really into it really quick, and I tried to call it bumping mics, and Dave was like, no. <laughs> I go, why? Yeah. He's like, it's two on the nose. I go, well, that's good for a title. We don't have any other structure to our show. By the way, we don't rehearse. He has a flip phone. I can't even talk to him before the show. We don't have any plan whatsoever. It's pretty stressful, Joe. Why do you have a flip phone? Why? I'm trying to stay off the grid, dude. Yeah? You saw me with the sword in front of the flag. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready I'm ready to be activated. No, I'll tell you this. Bumping mics is the best 
title for it. He, Jeff is really a good producer and all those different things, all the s- skill sets I don't have. Like he's a producer, he knows show business, all those different things. But like I, I was like, we should have like really like workshop some other names like uh, like two Costellos looking for an Abbott, you know, or like. <laughs> Nichols and May I. <laughs> but there's other teams out there. I'm not going to say there aren't. But the thing is that, like, we're not really a team. Like, we both have our separate stuff. But when we get together, it's like this kind of, like, almost like, um, you know, like, within 48 hours, we're a team again. You know? So right. it's really difficult. But I think we rock out in certain situations. Like... I want to go through it with you because you've done every venue now. You've done outdoor, you've done theater, you've done casino. I think we are one of the best casino acts. I'll say it right now. I think we really are. Why? I think in a casino, we take it to the level that needs to be, especially in a D-level casino. I'm talking like, like, you're like hoping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're hoping for like, you know, like one of those electric poker thing, electronic poker. Like that kind of, that's Foxwoods. Yeah, well, Fox, we do rock. There. Fox was Dave nice. likes the casinos because they let him smoke. <laughs> yeah, uh, my people. Elevator, Those everywhere. are my people. Right, that's true about casinos, right? But it's also a very bawdy audience, and you can say anything, and you don't have to hold back at yeah. all. And, you know, we Jeff love, is we fearless. I'm, I have a filter up, but he is fearless. He really is. Actually, Bachang is that place in Temecula, right? Yeah. That place is actually nice. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of. Uh, What's we'll that play one it. on the five? What's that <laughs> fucking place on the five? The, the Playboy one? Rudy Moreno used to... Oh, the Hustler. Cause that's yeah. what that would be great. We just did, we we just just did one like... <laughs> Bethlehem PA. That's our best one, dude. Uh, I love that. Which one? You know the one? It's an old steel mill, but now it's a casino in, in Bethlehem. Yeah. Oh, Lehigh, okay. I think it is. Bethlehem. We always have our best shows there for some reason. Yeah, we really do. The crowd is so excited to see us. Man. Those <laughs> that was weird, our first road show ever. Yeah. Those weird road gigs. And the one we were going to cancel, but we never canceled in, like, Utah or something? Uh, we did the Oklahoma run. That one, Oklahoma. Yeah. You guys did an Oklahoma run? Yeah. No, well, I he did. did. I, I did, did one, uh, one casino one that I drove through, like, this crazy storm to the next one. Oklahoma, man. You can drive as fast as you want. <laughs> they don't give a fuck? <laughs> they don't care. Montana didn't even have drive. They didn't even have speed limits. Isn't that cool? They just had to impose speed limits within the last decade or two because of the federal government. They said, look, we're not going to fix your fucking roads unless you tell people they can't go 150 miles an hour. I love it. <laughs> That's Montana, though. You know, Burr says that Oklahoma's fucking amazing. Yeah, we had he a said good show Tulsa there. was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I want to play there for sure. But I was playing the casinos, and then I met Jeff at this one. It's like right on the border of Texas. And, uh, you know, Seinfeld plays there. Thackerville. Yeah. Seinfeld plays there. Thackerville, That's Oklahoma. the town it's in, yeah. And it was like a rough, one Seinfeld of those rough Seinfeld goes week. to Thackerville. Yeah. But, you really? know, he, yeah. he's got it down to a science, man. You know, fly in, fly out, that kind of thing. You know, we're fly embedded. Fly night. We're fly embedded there. Night. <laughs> yeah. I, don't guess, oh, yeah. I guess if you have a nice life and a nice house. But I like going and looking around the local yeah. places and yeah. eating the local fare. I still kind of love that. Well, well, he's in that weird place, too, where I don't think he can go places. Yeah, that's true. He if can't he's really walking on the street, around. you're like, holy shit, it's Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be weird, Joe. That's what we do after the show because we're both a little older now. We we really eat. That's what we do. We really like enjoy eating. it. What's your like? Do you like steaks and stuff? Yeah. Oh, dude, you should hang with us because we he really go. Eat cow steaks. He eats, I eat like, cow weird. steaks too. He eats like, like elk and like stuff. Wolf steak and shit. He doesn't. <laughs> I would eat a like wolf Game steak of Thrones. That's why he was late. He was giving kids it. their elk breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> My kids eat elk. They really do. Well, we'll eat it's it. It's delicious. I wish I, I... I need to set up a kitchen here and cook for you guys. Oh, that would be great. It's fucking fantastic. Kids, you, you eat your Elkios for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> if you ate it, you'd want to get it more. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. What does it taste like in, in the meat scale? Like uh, a bison, like no. a little bit more uh, unusual. Mm. Better than venison. Better, How do you cook it? Than, like deer venison. Slowly on a pellet grill, and then I sear it on the outside at the end. Wow. Yeah. So your Thanksgiving must be out of control, huh? Well, this year, no. <laughs> this year, we just did the normal turkey thing. P- oh. Put a turkey in a deep... Uh, but he caught it with his own hands. That's true. On the roof of the studio. <laughs> 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 uh, we did the peanut oil thing. We deep fry it in peanut oil. Oh. Makes it better. Yep. Yeah, but it's like it's a scam. How Turkey's did you learn how to do all this you stuff? You, like every time I meet you, you have like two other skills. Like how do you do this stuff? You're pretty busy. I need things to f- occupy my brain. Uh-huh. I, I just have one of those brains. The only way I'm at peace is if I have a bunch of difficult shit that I do all the time. I Constantly to, challenging yeah, myself. I, I have to. That's wow. how my brain works. You wow. know, everybody has their own weird kink. Uh-huh. My kink is I need to be exhausted. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like just for your brain itself, it yeah, needs to be fed. My, my brain f- needs shit to do. It needs things to concentrate on. If I, if I don't have things to concentrate on or things that are really difficult, I, uh, I start playing tricks on myself. You mean mental or physical? Both. Both. Mental and physical. Yeah, you I get like so depressed. You, I have to have both. How do you handle the time management with family and career? And get up early. Touring? Yeah. <clears throat> get up early. So like this morning, I was up at six thirty. Kids go to school. They're they're leaving the house by seven. I take the dog running. I'm gone for two hours. And then I <clears throat> come back, get a bunch of shit done at the house, then come over here. Wow. Then, you know, hang out with you guys for a few hours. Then I'm gonna lift. Then I'm gonna go to the store, and uh, do a couple sets. Have a good time. So that's like you're doing like a 16-hour day there, right? Well, yeah, but the thing is, like, the way it works really good with me with family is that most of the stuff I'm doing either while my kids are at school or while my kids are asleep. So by the time I leave, I have a 10 o'clock spot at the store. They're already asleep. Right. They go to bed at like 8.30. How so old are they now? The, the youngest ones are 8 and 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's... They're, it's a, they go to bed, you know, they get up at like 6.30. They go to bed at like 8.30. Mm. You know, so that's perfect time for me. Then yeah, then leave. you got your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you just quit something in the middle? I was like, fuck it, I can't figure this out. Like what? A bit, a, a, a oh. routine. Sometimes bits, you just got to abandon them and come back to them in a couple of weeks or a couple months or a year. A couple of years. Sometimes, yeah. <clears throat> Everybody has that one, like, great beginning of a bit, and they're yeah. like, where does this go? And then yeah. you just keep throwing it out, throwing it out, throwing it out. That's the cool thing with Jeff is that, like, um, you know, we both bring material up on stage. But at the end of the day, it's the stuff that just comes to us, like that, you know, in the moment stuff, especially with the audience. That's the stuff that I really think, uh, you know, we should give a shout out to Andrew, the director, for capturing all that. Uh, Jeff's friend, who is now uh, one of the best directors out there, man. He really, uh, he really, you know, once again, it was Jeff's choice, and he did the job and then some I mean it's so good the way he put it all together you know and you guys have it's more than just you guys going on stage there's a bunch of other stuff happening there's so, a bunch of people who drop by it's uh, a three ep- three episode series oh really <clears throat> docu-series so I don't know if you saw the jinx on HBO about uh, Robert Durst the no I never watched murderers. that it's I, a I, phenomenal documentary I've heard my buddy Andrew Jarecki directed that he also directed Capturing the Freedmans years ago it was an Oscar nominated documentary what was that about that was about a, a family of convicted, actually, child molester math science teachers in Long Island. Oh, Father, I son, remember that. Based on a, a short that he did about a party clown whose family wound up being implicated in this crazy controversy. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, that was him, huh? Yeah. Wow. And I, I Andrew and I are tight, and Dave and I were sort of going back and forth on who could sort of direct us. 
who would know our moves but yet had the experience and David right. doesn't like anybody that's too hip. I, I just want to, I want I like it straight so I ahead. Of Andrew. I like it straight ahead and I and I also think some of these comedy specials are over directed so I didn't right. want to fall into this whole like, you know, instead of like lighting the stage you guys hold lanterns, you know, oh, like that kind of a thing. Jesus you know, you bump Christ. lanterns and then we'll have, oh, you know, God. like that kind of a thing. Like, you know, that'll be the essence of the humor. That could happen too. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah. but uh, he really, he really was cool and he really was patient and he really like brought a lot of things outside of I know my wheelhouse. You know, it's a collaboration, which is another thing you're not used to doing when you do your own special. Like, you know, you're like, hey, I want to do it this way. I've been doing it this way and I want it that way. But when you have other voices in the room and, uh, you know, other ideas, then, you know, you got to like pretty much mesh it together into something that, you know, pretty much, I guess, captures the spirit of it and also like hopefully the funny of it, you know. Well, if you got that guy as your director, I mean, that's fucking incredible. It looks cool, and he also understood our personalities and our friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been chasing Dave my whole career. I always, <clears throat> as an open micer, I would go watch Dave, or, you know, I always thought, like, if no one's going to make it in our crew until Dave makes it. Dave was always <laughs> the one that everybody <laughs> came to watch. Even when Ray Romano was popping on TV, he would go <laughs> down to watch Dave tell, you know, riff. And, you know, my first TV spot was a seven-hour train ride with Dave to, like, Canada, you know, when we were really young. And I've and heard three versions of this story, Joe. What's the first version? No, it's like it's like Canada or Syracuse, I think. <laughs> no, it was Canada. It was, it was uh, uh, Hamilton, Hamilton, Canada, whatever. We took a train from New York. Anyway, I'm just saying Hamilton, it's called. Isn't that in Ontario? <laughs> I guess so. Isn't it? But uh, I'm just saying I've been... Dave, Dave is my favorite comic. Yeah, I didn't know that until we really started working together. I, <laughs> I consider you out I consider him, him contemporary. Yeah, but you does know? it weird you out? He's like you're his favorite comic. Um, a little bit, you know. To be <laughs> honest, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I see. I see Jeff as like beyond unique. Like there's nobody like him, and what he does and what he is able to do is really. It's really. It's not only fun to watch, but it's really like you know you're a self starter. He's a self starter. Like it's great to see self starters who find success because it really is difficult to like take something and like make it not only uh, financially successful but also like something that that we all respect and love. You know, and that's you know I'd say the roasting thing that Jeff really pretty much has rebranded into like you know every 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 possible way you can do it. Is always good because he's behind it. You know, it is interesting when it's that. not when it's not really with him, then you're like, I'm not so sure. Yeah. There's other people who are really good at it too, but I'm just saying that, like, you know, that is when you know uh, we're on the road and people will scream out the car door, "It's the roast master." I mean, like, you know, I had my insomniac time, but he like twenty, thirty times that in terms of like recognition. I mean, it's just amazing. It is weird that you're Thank you're you. synonymous with roasts. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, if people say roast, they think Jeff Ross. I earned it because when people laughed at me and thought, oh, that's a dead art, it's a lost art, it's antiquated, it's yeah. corny, it's old guys, I stuck by it and said, no, it's alternative comedy, no one's doing it, I get to, I get to hang with legends like Buddy Hackett and Milton Berle, you know, and, and I stuck to it because, and there was a lot, there was a... There, there was a time where I was like embarrassed, like, oh, I'm going to be pigeonholed as the roast guy. Were you embarrassed? Not, em well, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but. Uncomfortable? Yeah, because you're like, well, I want to be more than that. You know? you, when was this around? This was probably 10 years ago. And I was in Vegas, Chappelle again, words of wisdom. He's like, dude, that's your lane. Make that a five lane highway. 
<laughs> and ride it. And that's kind of what we started, what I started doing, started really owning it and loving it. And to the credit of the world, as we became more pussies in the world, like <laughs> roasting became more and more potent and important. Yeah. And the world needs to develop thick skin. And I think roasting honors people and it's done with love, but it also kind of toughens us up a little bit. Well, I think it's of the time. When I came back to the comedy store, <clears throat> first thing I came back to watch was Roast Battle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I hadn't really known. I, I'd heard, but I didn't really know where it was. Right. And then I remember when, that night. I remember that night really well. Because I remember thinking, holy shit, this is so mean. No, you were <laughs> like, so funny. It is. I, sometimes I'm like, whoa, you guys go but, deep. But really good. We were at the other club, the improv. Sure. Thanks. That's got that's tobacco, though. I'll take a a little oh, bit. really? Yeah, right, I'll take a real tobacco small tobacco leaf. I'll, the leaf I can deal with. All right, deal with it. All How right. about... It doesn't have any inside. Is my company going to crumble because of this? Am I going to get audited up. by NASA? It's, mm-hmm. it, it pumped him up. He went down, but then he went back up. Tesla went down, and then it went up. Really? Went down 6%, then it went up 9 The studio still smells a little musky. Ah! <laughs> but that night when I walked in there, I remember thinking, this is a joke writing thing. This isn't just uh, as simple as um, the art of the insult. Yeah, it's but it's 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 joke <laughs> writing, and one of the things I love about roast battle is how Moses makes everybody hug right. at the end of it. It's it's very cool. Well, it's, I started judging it, and people were pushing each other and screaming right. at each other, and I wrote mm. the rules of roast battle: original material only, um, no physical contact. Yeah, that's scary. And every battle ends with a <clears> hug. <throat> I've seen that with um, rap battles where guys punch each other in the face. Rap battles are like the way more mean version of roast battle. Like they, yeah. Those fucking guys. I've seen some just horrible, horrible shit people say to each other. And Moses, like he owns that, 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 that circus. Yeah. And you got to admire the fact that he can week after week make that work. You without- know one of the reasons why it works? He's so likable. Brian is such a nice guy. The best. He's the such best. he's such a good, good-hearted, sweet person. You know? We were at the Improv that night. You hadn't been at the comedy store in years and years and years and years, and I don't know all the details. And it never really <clears throat> was part of part of my. And you were asking me about roast battle, or somebody started asking me about it in front of you, mm-hmm. and I saw you getting curious, and you were getting more curious, and you were maybe a little homesick for the comedy store. Who knows? And I said, come on, let's go. Jump in my car. And you're like, I'll meet you there. And you sat up on the balcony where the judges sit. And you hadn't been in the belly room in five years, maybe. Who knows? Seven. Seven years. And you're sitting there. And Moses does a double take. And he's too afraid. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't really know you. You haven't been back there. You haven't been in the store. And finally, I I say, comedy store legend, back after a long time, say hi to Joe Rook. Real low-key intro. And... I've been in that room a lot for Roast Battle. I never heard anything mm. like this place reverberated. Like I thought we were going to fall into the main room. And it was it. That was it. You, you've been back every day since. Well, I had to go back too because Ari was filming his Comedy Central special there right. the next yes. night. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why I had to go to Roast Battle. <clears throat> I love him. I really I love do. Him. Uh, there's no way I was going to miss his special. I was like, I have to go there. I don't want to go there the night of his special. Let me just go there a day early. Yeah. So I went there a day early. And you, uh, you wound up judging Roast Battle on Comedy Central <laughs> and doing all... Uh, you, you're part of our, our your, your royalty over there. Can that I was say- when Earl Skakel came out shirtless with a fucking gold chain with a fur coat on. 
to this day, that was one of the greatest entrances I've ever seen anybody take on stage. And he fucking murdered, too. I mean, he was on fire uh, that uh, night. Uh, on fire. <laughs> it's like the art of the insult. You might not be the strongest headlining act, but if you can put five jokes together... You right, can take but, somebody down. But here's the question. Why is it that so many people excel at that, like especially young comics, but they can't seem to figure out a way to generate that kind of energy during a regular set? Oh. It's different. I think they don't it get is. the stage time. I think that's really what it is. There's a lot of that, mm -hmm. for sure. That right? this is their moment, so they throw all in. But mm. can I say as an outsider, since I never was really a West Coast you know, comic like you guys, uh, is that the comedy store from back in the day to before the roast battling to to the roast battling like an amazing difference i yeah. remember walking in there and it was like it's like a haunted house you yep. know you're like where is everybody what's going on sam kinison played here you know and then like you know you go on stage and it was like you know 12 tourists in the room and then a bunch of comics in the back and then after the roast battle like the energy you could just see it just went out like through the roof of just like it was the place to hang and like you know it became like when you're in town you want to go by the store and just check it out and like go on stage and you know the crowds there became way better and i think that you were part of that of like really help re-energizing that club 100 you know? percent. that's what i felt that's you what know? i felt when i went back i was like this is a different place even lil rel howry said there's no other comedy competition where other comics come to watch yeah true 100 and, and cheer on their friends or, <clears throat> or kind of roll their eyes at the ones that they don't want to win and there's a fraternity there i feel like comedians and I feel like we're a cult in a weird way. Sometimes I feel like I'm a comedian before I'm even an American. Like, I meet comedians from all over the world, and I feel like I know them my whole life. Yeah. And Roast Battle is now international. <laughs> yeah. So That's a great story. It right? really is a movement like that, where it was sort of a corny thing that nobody really understood, the roasting. I couldn't even try out roast jokes when I first started. It was like so mean. If I would stand there with a piece of paper and read ten William Shatner jokes, people would be like, "Oh, he's so mad, so mean." You were doing that one night at the Improv. I'm trying to remember who you were practicing for. <laughs> you were, but and people were like, "Oh, oh!" <laughs> the same people that would be at the roast, they'd yeah. be dying. Right. It's hard to put yourself in that roast mindset. Like when you go to see the roast mindset, it's like going to see a fight. Yeah. So if you went to see a fight. And you knew you were going to go see a fight. You could handle the fact that a fight was going on. Right. But if you just show up at the movies and two people start head-kicking each other, <laughs> yeah. like, holy shit, what the fuck are you doing? Stop! It's like we can agree to, to horrific shit if we just know it's going to take place in advance. I guess there's part of that. And it, and it is a sport. Roasting has, it, 100%. It is a sport. It's definitely a game. Because there's strategy involved. It's not just jokes. It's like you're trying to disarm someone's material towards you, maybe. Like, sometimes guys will go at themselves right, first. Right, And then go at the, their opponent, like, in the same joke. Right. But they go, they're already sort of, they're, it's very smart. People are being clever with it because they've been doing it for a few years now. So mm -hmm. they've seen people bomb. They've seen people murder. Other strategies, Fuck like yeah. any other sport. Yeah, and you punch back, and you have mm -hmm. your you have your uh, retort ready. Yes, and, and you know there's all kinds of other little things like, you know maybe don't mention the obvious thing till the end, and then you're gonna. Sure. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I don't want to give too many secrets away, but mm -hmm. the better roast battles battlers will study the game tape, if you will, and figure mm -hmm. all this stuff out. And you know five jokes. I mean. You, you, it's not easy. No, it's not easy. You, if you trip or stumble, can you recover? 
Tony Hinchcliffe's a goddamn assassin at that shit. Yeah. The best. That motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He's an assassin at roasts. He's got an evil little black spot in his heart <laughs> that he likes to open up <laughs> whenever those roasts come out. <laughs> those jokes are vicious and clean and tight. But I, I've and generationally, it. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's no, not something we do off the top of our head. I mean, there, if you can do that also. Yep. But Tony takes it seriously. And, and it's like, like I say, the, it's an art. Yes. That's also the skill of joke writing, which is like in today's world of more storytelling and all that kind of stuff that it's, it's, it's few and far between where you actually see like someone who could put together a couple of jokes in a row mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, that was a great run. You know, yeah, like everybody yeah. has one good joke and then like, you know, maybe a couple of tags, but like to actually have a, a great run, you know, that's the thing that always excites me about comedy. And when he'll tell you like when we work together, he'll go, "What new stuff do you have?" And like we'll just throw it up there, and like I'll try and um you know basically work it out on stage because I know it's not like one of my own bits, like a formed bit yet. Mm-hmm. It's like something that I can work with him, and that's fun too. That also like opens your mind to a whole other world of like joke writing, you know? Sure, especially you're doing it right next to another comic. That's yeah. how we start. Yeah, that's, we we that's wrote, amazing. It's difficult. We always start by talking about each other. Dave looks like an umpire during a rain delay. I'm actually wearing the same stuff <laughs> right now on the special. So. Jeff mixes it up a bit. Well, this it's is easier a, for me. Dave, that outfit makes a statement. <laughs> what That's is a it? very clear <laughs> David Tell outfit. This is it, man. Low-key Low makes a statement. Flip phone. What is, what's it, what is it? I know how to delete a hard drive. <laughs> I do. I do creep it up. Why do you have a... You still didn't answer about the flip phone. Why do you have a flip phone? Well, I like the flip phone. Like, you don't get distracted with the web because it takes forever to get the web on there. But uh, it's just... I don't know. I don't really like technology. I don't like the web. I feel like... um, you know, there's something about the virtual experience and the live experience that, like, we're, we're really in that world now of, like, coming to see someone live is getting harder and harder. But, like, they'll know all your clips on, on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know. So, I, I don't know. But I, don't you think more people are going to see people live than ever before? Well, Joe, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, if there's any reason for that at all, it's definitely not your your act. Cause it's got to be content. Brilliant. No, uh-huh. it's it's your lack of connection with the internet. Yeah. I think if you were connected more with the internet, more people would be going to see you. Hmm. I'm I, not a good promoter. I, I, I know 100% that. believe that. I 100% believe that. Because you're, you're, it's hard to talk complimentary about someone when they're right in front of you. You're You're brilliant. As a joke writer, you're one of the most prolific I know, oh, thanks, one of the most sir. clever that I know. But you're also the you have less ego than anyone I've ever met in my life. You're like some weird fucking Tibetan monk dude <laughs> that's been sitting up in some cave somewhere. I mean, you're one of the best comics ever, in my opinion. Wow. And you you're so you're so low key. It freaks people out sometimes. I, I I'm all about the. I, I really love the hang. Like he was saying, like the the cult of the comics, like mm-hmm. us hanging and like yeah. coming from you, dude. That's like extra special. So Dave thank doesn't you. even like to get recognized. I hate it. Yeah, I, I don't tell. like any of that stuff. That's but why I think I've, I think there's a correlation. You're you. Have it's more my own self hate. <laughs> no, but you also have more bandwidth for what you're doing. Your stand up. You know, I don't, you're looking at this, it's a good mixture because like you've obviously you've obviously been really successful with like staying in this groove particularly after you stopped drinking and everything too yeah like, yeah you're you're in this tight groove i'm present that's yeah. what that's what i can say but dude your set at the improv that i saw was about like six months we were at the improv together something like that yeah six months mm-hmm. god damn that was funny shit but really I'll, fun you know it's funny like when you talk about the like i love 
there's no harder fan now than your fans. I mean, like, they know comedy, they know a lot of things, and they totally respect the art form and, like, the craft of it. And that's thanks to you and you're out there doing it it's not like you know it's like back in the day I was a comic you're out there every night doing it you go on the road so it's it's like you're talking from now not from like the past and you, you get it how like um, I, I, I feel like the web the web stuff helps and hurts comedy to some degree but it probably helps more than I'm giving it credit because it it's really did connect to different. people it really did connect with more people, yeah. you know. I don't think it helps or hurts. I think there's always been shit comedy, and there's always sure. been people that are doing really well, and but there's th always been inspiring people, and there's always been thieves. There's always been all the sure. bad, the bad things that exist now. Mm -hmm. But what now it is, it's like there way more people can find you, and those people it does translate into clubs, right? And and seats, it, it they do want to come out. And the thing about the, the show, the reason why this works is because we can all talk about it in a way that. The, a person who doesn't do it can still understand it. True. Like then go, oh, this, these guys is like, this is what you know. You could be into whatever the fuck it is, rebuilding muscle cars, playing chess, whatever the fuck it is that you're into. Mm -hmm. When people get really into something, there's a very similar thing that happens. Well, you get together with other people that are also really into it and really good at it, and you go, well, how do you? Are you? I'm always asking, like, do you write it out? Right. Like, what do you do? Do you just work it out on stage? Right. Do you? How much time do you spend alone with the bit, and the how process. much time do you spend? How much do you just? Because a lot of guys don't like to do anything outside of write little tiny bullet points and then let it all express itself naturally on stage. Some of the best guys ever. Right. So it's hard to say what's right or what's wrong. There's a, there's a lot that. of work to comedy that people don't get, which yeah. is the writing. But it's also the listening to yourself, mm -hmm. like uh, taping and listening. Yeah. That's the thing I have been doing. I have not been doing lately. We worked on this thing. I'm working on other stuff. And it's like, that is the thing where when I go back and go like, you know, when I was really hardcore into the, into the like, you know, material, turning an hour, that was the thing where it's like, you almost have to, like, like you told me, you have that tank. Mm -hmm. That's where like, go in there with your act, like, especially like a hard show on a Friday like late show and like mm. listen to it that yeah. to me is like a form of torture to oh. hear like all the bits that don't work <laughs> late shows the... on Friday right I disagree I, I we've had he's very fun. optimistic I'm very pessimistic you're yeah. optimistic we, we always he really like he really is like super optimistic I love Friday late shows he, he pretty I much like loves the rowdy, everything <laughs> I like the active audience I, I, it fuels me I feel like a lion tamer up there and when Dave's beside me I'm I'm, I'm indestructible it's probably a really good, I'm a good kind of show for people that don't want to be quiet too yeah they want to yell out yeah get rowdy we drag people on stage oh, we, dice sure. them we up. go into the crowd we do all all those different things that like you know I, i'll say it i'll say it. there's a lot of things that we do are like old school comedy in terms of like old school hockey like it's just no longer done it's like you could say it's it might be a little cheesy a little this a little that but at the end of the day it's it's just inappropriate fun silly like move to the next bit like yeah remember we were looking in the edit and i go hey i gotta tell you there's like a hundred punchlines in this thing yeah. so even if like you know the law of averages like you know turtles <laughs> swimming into the ocean if only like seven are great that's still a lot for an uh, for netflix special i mean honestly by the way our, i'm not our, i'm not patting ourselves on the back but i am i'm like that's pretty good our, our show is the episodes are three episodes it's friday well, the first one's called friday they're saturday and sunday they're three nights oh wow and i love that friday crowd we had like nikki glazer amy schumer rachel feinstein michelle wolf you yeah, talk about all the people that showed because we really like jeff called in these like amazing Jamie people showed saying up. gilbert was hilarious gilbert was he completed us. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he was the third piece of this, like, ancient, like, scroll. Like, once we found that, I was like, where has he been? Gilbert is the thing. Because both of us, like, 
Yeah, that is I'm the best sure. one. Gilbert That's the episode two. Us. Gilbert's and, a savage. Yeah, I mean, he's. What do you think of Gilbert? Like, if okay, like your kids are whatever. No, I'm trying to think. Of, like, if you were like 16 years old, what would you think of Gilbert? Like, he's so out of there, like like wheelhouse in terms of like what is that? I mean, I think he's classic. I think he's like. I think I probably nobody... liked him. I think I probably thought he was really funny when I was 16. But when I was 16, I was really getting into stand up. Yeah. Oh. When I, my my parents took me to see Live in the Sunset Strip when I was 14. I guess it was out, out wow. in the movie theater. Well, when I first discovered Gilbert, he was like on the MTV Awards imitating Dice. <laughs> so to me, he was like not yeah. the hero comic. He was the guy that made fun of the hero comic. Right, right. He had the you know he but was. But he was it, always like people would talk about him in interviews. He was always like revered by other comedians. You know, he's a guy that's always been like he's a wild man, like a legit wild man. He murdered on our show. Like he, standing O, we got a standing O. So I'm, like I'm sure. I'm, I'm, we we have like friends from our life in the audience. My aunt and his family and like Bruce Willis is there and he does a bit with us, but I had a, my friend Craig Moss from high school is in the audience with his wife and kids, you know. And Dave like starts walking around the village underground looking for my guest list, Craig Moss. Where's <laughs> Craig Moss? So finally, like Dave starts goofing on this guy who's just in the audience. And yeah, I, it was a and long I jump walk in for... and go, and I and I jump in and go, oh, uh, you know, Craig. When my parents died, Craig was my best friend in a new town. He was, you know. So I'm explaining to the audience and Dave who this guy is and how much he did for me as a young man. And uh, and then Gilbert jumps up out of the audience and just screams. Doesn't even need a microphone. He's like, "When my parents were alive, Craig came over and killed them." <laughs> <laughs> he and just has perfect timing. He never. He, he, he does. Yeah. He, he's just his delivery. He's an animal. No filter. None. with him. And that's the beauty of him. Like you know, I'm always like, oh, I don't know what, how they're going to take. He's like, boom, that's it. I think I'm going to say it even. Him. I'm going to say it three times. You know. Yeah. The kids who love comedy would love him. Mm-mm. You know. When yeah. I was 16, I mean, I, I, I would listen to everything. I always like a mix of like different types of comics. Like that episode, Bob Saget and Hassan Minaj are the other guests. That's right. At one point, we're all up there together. <laughs> and you, these are guys who might not even know each other right. in real life, but the comedy kind of brings it together. Mm, that's awesome, man. It's like a party mixed with a roast, mixed with a... I don't even know, Dave. No, it's really cool, because Jeff's family, like wherever we would go on the road, Jeff's family, you know, it'd be like... Can I get your comps? Because I, you know, I've got like three third cousins here. <laughs> I didn't know there were Jews in Oklahoma, but evidently there were, you know, five distinct, you know, twenty-three and me people out there for me. And I, I was like, it was funny to see because I'm really a lone wolf. Like I'm on the road alone. You know, I go out there, I do my thing. And Jeff really does like he's very inclusive with his family. So I, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Like you know, they're all invited. You know, right. come hang out in the green room and all that kind of stuff. So that that's cool. And he brought that on stage, like with your aunt. I thought that was like one of the best moments of the whole show you know we bring up my aunt is my the first episode is is my aunt bruce willis michelle wolf amy schumer nikki glazer rachel fine so it's like a weird mix of but you know what for all for all, just to say one more thing about dave and the flip phone and like how the process works dave is also the most like you say present but also informed like, he knows all the references. He knows what's going on in the world. So he's not like he's living <laughs> in a caveman under the under the. Yeah, ground. no, I, I, you, I keep my eye so, out there. So what do you do? Do you read newspapers? 
I have a raven sent me <laughs> sent me the most important news from Westeros. Uh, yeah, so no, he's I, in the back. I, uh, he's in the back reading and like really like getting in touch with the world and the audience. And he's the first one to say, "Oh, we're in Vegas. Let's talk about this that's going on in Vegas. Let's talk about that that's going mm-hmm. on in Vegas." You know, he'll say it on stage to me. Like he'll bring up all this relevant stuff. Where like I'm the son of a caterer. I'm more about this live experience. Who's in the audience? Who's here? I like keeping it to like that's that show and i think you agree with it it's like you'll agree with it too it's like each show is its own thing right mm-hmm. so it's like you know the fact that it's always like some guy taping in the back you're like dude why are you doing that because right. this is your experience right now and you know you know like stanhope who is my favorite comic doug stanhope is like he was the first guy that that like we both talked about like this whole thing of like why do people think that like you know capturing this show is like important and like you know they're all so disposable it's like beautiful like fireworks you know it's mm-hmm. like it's never gonna it's never gonna happen again like that you know so you might as well just like soak it all in instead of trying to capture it and i i think when when we talk about like topical stuff i do that for like as a joke writing thing but also as a like keeping the act alive because i feel like my job in this team is to push it forward like you know it's like Okay, Jeff. What else is happening? Like to keep moving it. Otherwise, we we can we can always get into a loop of like you know just putting each other down or like working the crowd. So I like to move it forward, and I think that the uh, the cool thing about that is that like it does it does move forward to an end. You know, when people are making those videos, they're not making those videos to look back on them. They're making those videos so that other people could see it. Right. right that's but, the difference between today and the past. In are the you past, for that? Are you or against it? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm neither. I think your your personal experience is going to be better if you just watch it. Okay. But I'm not you. Maybe right. you maybe you just get more of a jolly off of filming a clip and putting that clip on Facebook and then getting a million downloads. Yeah. I just know that like when I go to a place and I'm working on new material, yeah. I want it to be figured out and then then put it on the way I want it. But 100%. I totally understand what you're saying, which is like you know the uh, you know like it, it's a it's an open it's an open world now, and it's just like the idea of controlling is like like an antiquated idea. But I think that you know for me at least as the joke writer, it's like I just want it to where it's where it's going to be, yeah, and then, I, then get I it totally out. Totally understand, and I you completely know? agree. I think we if we establish an etiquette. You know, and most comedy clubs say you can't film. And yeah. there's, there's a reason yeah, for that's that. Great. It's just, well, I don't know what, like, I have a bit right now that I'm working on, and I've only done it twice. And it's all over the fucking place. And if, if I somehow or another released it, like, if I had to do a Netflix special tomorrow and I had to do that bit, I'd be fucked. I'd be like, what is this? Mm-hmm. This malformed, gelatinous, b- preposterous yeah, you're working form on of it. a joke. Yeah, but sick. I know for a fact that six months from now, there's fruit in this. I know the subject is, there's something to it. Yeah. I right. have to figure out what that something is, and it's going to take a while, and there's going to be a lot of missteps. And yeah. There's just no way around it. And so the only way for us to do this is like, if you are a musician... I'm sure it feels awesome to practice in front of a crowd, but you can practice at home. Like, you can actually get the band together and play the whole song. Right. We can't do that. I'm glad you brought that up because people always bring music as, like, you know, it's kind of like music. I'm like, it's kind of not like you music. Need the audience. It's not like music at all. If anything, I, I really, you know, talk about like self hate. For a long time, I'm like, how come like my bits don't rock like within six months? And I'm like, you know, th- th- then I started like, 
like directors and writers and whatever. So everybody has first drafts. Everybody mm-hmm. has it. And like the best people have multiple drafts. And it's the same thing with a joke where it's like it'll work and then it won't work and then you'll change a line and then it'll work better and then won't. And you're feeling it out. You're feeling out the bit. You in your head are filling in the holes that you only can see because it's you're the creator. And I love that process, but it also is terrifying. You know, it really is like, where is it going to go? But Basically saying, okay, that's finished now because it got like a little laugh. You're like, I'm not satisfied. There's something more to yeah, this. Yeah, but you yeah. have a you have a, a real issue with this because Dave will get a joke, you know. And, yes. And, and, sure, he's the creator and he knows where the holes and the of the destroyer. material are. Go ahead. But <laughs> no one is more connected to him than me watching the process, especially when we're like he's right on tour and doing like you know a week of shows. Mm. I know we know each other's moves and we mm. see how it develops. He'll finally get a joke. Not where it's killing, where it's like a showstopper. Mm-hmm. Like, kill it! Like, what do we do now? Where, yeah. where I run around a circle. Like, it, the joke's <laughs> hitting so hard that we have to do something while they're laughing. You know, take a sip, or sometimes right. we'll just, like, roll around on the floor. And I'll destroy it. And then the next <laughs> night, I'll go, Dave, what's your workout routine? Like, I'll give him a softball layup to go, like, close <laughs> yeah, the show again. with this joke. And he'll nope. look at me like I'm speaking another language. Because I'm already... He'll just be like... In his eyes, fuck you, Jeff. I'm not repeating myself night to night. Yeah. Mm. And he'll deconstruct and completely rearrange yes. the same joke. I will I will turn that funny into like a boring couch. I'll <laughs> key that joke into a snooze fest. But so does, isn't that also the mindset that keeps you present while yes. you're doing the bit? Yep. It yeah. keeps him present. It keeps me aggravated. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like I really am letting down the team there. You know, It's like, feed me, feed me. And I'm like, no. But uh, I, I think that's the cool of it. <laughs> I, I also like have a problem with if a joke works continuously somewhere I'm like there's something wrong with that attack. Yeah, but you then know? we go to I know shoot it's a, wrong. We shoot but... a Netflix special and you're not using your A material. No, I am. <laughs> Dude, I, I had a, you know, I think of the jokes as children. I gave up a lot of my uh, you know, my firstborn there. Yeah, well, the ugly ones. It's because... That's not true. <laughs> it's my pharmacist joke, my homeless joke. It's because you, you're like it's you so go. important to have that mindset to be a great club comic, right? Because every yes. show has mm. to be its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know that's that keeps you like right. you restart right. for every show. There's you're nothing restarting. worse. There's yeah. nothing worse than seeing somebody go over and over and over the same thing every year. You see them. It's terrible. That's sad. Well. Because it could be so much better. That's what you like. As a person who's a, a comic, you understand what they're doing. They just don't want to take any chances. But as a person who's, you know, also, you know, how good it feels to write something new and eventually get it to the point where you could say it. Gilbert, Gilbert Live is hilarious, right? So, like, but for years, like, he's gotten out of it now, but for years he wouldn't update his material. And I took him, my sister and my brother-in-law and John Stamos, we all went to see him at Caroline's one night. <laughs> and Gilbert's up there, this is like th- three years ago, doing like Callista Flockhart's two skinny jokes. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not even updated. And we're just dying. And by the way, like Stamos is criticizing him. He's like whispering in my ear, I heard that five years ago. I heard that 10 years I go, you're on Broadway doing Chicago. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're doing a 30, 40, 50-year-old play. What are you talking about? <laughs> But so I defended so Gilbert, true. but I did like I did talk to Gilbert and Dara, and like like Gilbert, you're too funny to to not evolve. Like you're first hitting your prime as a comedian, and now to his credit, he's like on another level. He's just that's great though that you yeah. inspired him to start writing again. I embarrassed him to start writing again. That's fucking great. 
But he, when he's with us, like when that thing I said to Jeff, I go, if we ever tour again, we have to bring him on some of these gigs because he really does. Like he was the third element of this this uh, whatever chemistry of the thing that really did for me at least. I always knew that, like, if it wasn't going anything with, with with me and Jeff, and that's the truth of it too. And people will see that in the show that there's, you know, there's a couple of bits that go nowhere, but we left them in to show people that it's real and all that kind of stuff. But what about yeah, Norm? Did you guys do anything with Norm? I wish we could do something with Norm. He's got a thing on Netflix. Yeah, but he was in the in L.A. We were in New York, and he's I, a, another dude. He's so well, funny. God damn, he's good. I wish he would. I, yeah, I mean, Norm, there's nobody like him again, as a stand-up. I'm not saying we will, but if we ever do this again, this yeah. bumping mics day, we should get Norm. Did you see his yeah. uh, his tweets, his Thanksgiving tweets? No. no. <laughs> Once again, on my flip phone. I'm I'm about a... friends. I retweeted it. He's just so ridiculous, man. He's what? so funny. There's something about Norm's just like his ability to, uh, you know, I have this thing about timing. I don't know what you think about it, but it was like, there's something about the timing that like, you know, I know in today's world that like, you know, people don't care about that. It's more about like identity and all that stuff. But like, Norm is a master of timing. Yeah. He really is like a master of like timing and this whole thing that he's trying to do where he's finding these classic jokes. I love that. No, he's genius. He's, he's one of the there best. There is no one My like him. My first road gig yeah, ever was unusual. opening for Norm. Really? Yeah, it was Your probably first road gig ever. ever. 1991, oh maybe. Amazing. I'm at Catch Princeton. Somehow I talked my way into an MC spot, and Rich Voss was the middle, and Norm was the I headliner. I love Rich. And Norm, Holy Norm was shit. only famous for doing a few <coughs> late night shows. Whatever wasn't Letterman at the time. What was the other one? Uh, was it Thick of the Night or something? Or Bob Costas? No, it was... Remember? It, it he was had a, Later with Bob Costas? It wasn't as cool as that, even. Bill Boggs? It was some... <laughs> I'm going to keep you... Yeah. <laughs> it was some, some show you'll remember in a few minutes, and you go, oh, yeah, some late night show, <laughs> like syndicated... Whatever, it was... But, but like... And I meet Norm, and he's... Catch Princeton, he'd do an hour, do 45 minutes every show. He either destroyed... Or he got zero laughs for 45 <laughs> minutes. And whenever he got zero laughs, he oh. would stand by the door and say goodbye to people as they left. <laughs> oh, that's great. And if he killed, he would go back up to the room with Voss and we would play poker. Uh, like that's he was hilarious. so he was so anti. And then and then while we were there, yeah, he, got, he got booked on mm -hmm. Letterman for the first time. And I had a Jeep. My sister bought me a Jeep with the money she got from a car accident. Ah, and I drove and I drove Norm I dr the best. Hi Robin. And I drove I drove Norm to his Letterman taping, his first Letterman. So That's incredible. It was cool. I learned a lot that week. That's Every a, what a great guy to have is your the first guy you open for. It was so funny. That's amazing. Todd Barry was so obsessed with Norm he came out and slept on my bed. <laughs> 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 first guy I ever opened for was a guy named Warren McDonald, who's a really funny, like old school veteran Boston comic. But the second guy I opened for was Lenny Clark. Yeah. And Lenny Clark gave me advice that was totally contrary to his brother's advice. <laughs> what he said. His brother, Mike Clark, who's yeah. the best, nicest guy I in the world. I love Mike. He, he runs he giggles, me out a lot. Yeah. and he's, he's fucking awesome. Mike booked me back when nobody would book me, when I was just starting out. Um, but he, when I, I, when I opened for Lenny, he goes, he goes, kid, you're funny, but you're too fucking dirty. <laughs> he said just, that? Yeah. He just told me like, like for a, a Boston. Yeah. Too, too, it just, he was like, you, you should got to clean your act up. And then Lenny Clark came off stage and goes, whatever you do, don't clean your act up. <laughs> don't listen to him, kid. Wow. <laughs> he gave me great advice. That's strong. Yeah. I love well, those two guys. The nicest. They're so Boston too. When those I, I went to be Boston you. to the core. And when I when I was 
preparing the I did a, a roast of the Boston Cops, and Mike really helped me like warm up. Got me a bunch of local gigs in the Boston flavor. Oh, beautiful for the Irish people, the Italian people. It's a good place to do comedy, man. That is definitely of the two towns I'm thinking right now. Boston and Philly are the two towns that have changed dramatically comedically, mm-hmm. and also just in terms of like, like when you walk around in Boston now, you're not like, hey, I'm going to get jumped. You know, because I'm wearing a Yankee. I'm wearing a Yankee. You know, if anything, it's like, you know, everybody here is so, like, metro. And, you know, someone's going to invite me to, like, a poetry reading at a, at a wine, you know, bar or something like that. It's very metro. And the comedy there is still good. But it, it's funny that old Boston was such a challenge. It really was, like, especially outsiders. Knicks. What year did you start going, going to L- Knicks? In, the, uh, in their 90s, you know. That and was, I, every time I dreaded times. it. Yeah, they savage really were. Times. They were They were battles every time. And they had local headliners that could destroy you the greatest comics ever off stage it it was it was definitely one of those things you were terrified where you would hear just like hey you know what um I, uh, gee I don't, I don't know what to tell you but um gavin might come down you're like uh, okay <laughs> he just wants to do a few minutes yeah they would go on stage just to fuck with you. Yeah, absolutely. You had 100%. to earn it. Yeah. And I yeah, didn't earn it every time. Back then. I don't know if it's still like that for people starting out, but comics were mean. But that was their uh, town, and they, and, they, and they saw you coming into their town, dude. and they were like, you know, you better, you better prove it. You know, it's like before Step Up Revolution, you had to, you had to own it. <laughs> I never hold grudges. I don't know why. I never, people who were douchey to me in the beginning, I'm like, I don't know, I wasn't ready for your respect. I'll learn it eventually. And then Good I for meet you, them man. And I, I don't That's cool. Grudges. That's a great attitude. Buddy Hackett said that to me once. He said, when you're holding a grudge, the other guy's out dancing. Wow. That's a great piece of Wasted advice. energy. You know, the, that what, was a horrible hack. What was going on back then? <laughs> <laughs> How dare like you? <laughs> what was going on back then was a famine mentality, and I don't think we have that anymore. I think uh, that famine mentality is gone uh-huh. because now everybody realizes that with the internet, there's there's an un, literally an unlimited amount of viewers sure. and, and people that can come to your gigs. Like, and it, it's way more beneficial for them to know that, like, if you're talking about someone that's really good, for them to know you have good taste. Like, if Dave says, "Oh, you got to see Jeff Ross; he's a fucking hilarious comedian," and I go, "Well, I love Dave, so he must be right." Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that's it, the podcast world. Yes, and this is that's this the is podcast, and this is the not having a famine mentality. That's that's the thing that fucked us back in the early days. Like in Boston, it was before my time because when I came along, they had already started. Be, like Stephen Wright had been on on was he on Letterman, mm-hmm. and, and then you know like Jay Leno had already taken off, and he was on Letterman all the time. Those mm-hmm. guys had already like broken through to TV, but there was a sense that some of them had that like where's mine. Like, how come I didn't Absolutely, get yeah. Because there was only Absolutely. a tiny amount of slots. It's not mm. like Stephen Wright couldn't go on Letterman and say, hey, you think I'm funny. You got to see this guy, Lenny Clark, or you got to see this guy, Don Gavin, or right. you got to see Steve Sweeney. All these murderers that he came up with, and they were all like, where's mine? Like, how, what the fuck? Mm. You're you just like in too my many head. Spots. Too many spots. Too few spots. Well, mm. it, but also like we're of the generation, and not, not to make this like a whole like, you know, trip to the Museum of Comedy, but... We're of the generation where we actually saw people who crush a room, like crush a room. Like today, everyone's like, oh, you killed it, you crushed it. But like seeing Richard Jenny at his height, like at Caroline's or something like that, crush that room. People leaving exhausted where it's like two hours in, you're like, oh, he hasn't even hit his this thing yet. 
dude. and he's like he'll get off the stage he's like ah what did you think of that tag I'm like which I'm like dude you like threw out like a million jokes up there I would watch that and I'd be like oh my god that's that's like terrifying to see it was like watching a wave come at you and it was like what people consider now killing a room or crushing a room like I, I never got to see Sam Kinison or any of those people live but I assume that was the same thing of where people could not breathe they leave the room like just going like oh man I'm just exhausted you I know? got to see Kinison but I didn't get to see him until after he had released his HBO special uh-huh. and after he released his HBO special all that material was gone like what I would have wanted to see was that because that was yes. like a culmination of ten years of doing stand up, right. and then boom, he does that HBO special, yeah. and it's just a, a murderous nuclear I, missile. That's but yeah. I saw him after that. So and what year was that, that that he did the HBO? Because I wonder what year when I saw him. I think it was either eighty five or eighty six. I think it was eighty six. So if I saw him at Rascals at a sold out show, and I was in college, and I knew how funny he was, he was probably already famous. Man, but was he at Rascals? Wouldn't he be doing a bigger venue by I then? I guess you're right. I remember did, it felt like a special event. I saw him at theaters. I saw him at a couple of big places. I saw him at one place down the Cape. It was, I want to say it was like, if I had a guess today, I would say it's somewhere around 2,000 seats. Oh, really? And I saw him at Great Woods, which is considerably right. larger than that. Right. And that's right after his HBO special. And this is 80? This is 80... 86, 87. Wow. It's I used like, to work at Great Woods. Did college. you? Shut the fuck up. I, was, I worked for WBUR, the, college, the public radio station, and I would record classic music concerts as, a, as, a, as an engineer. That's hilarious. dude. Great I, Woods. I, they called I, it Tanglewood or something. What'd they call it? Great Woods, yeah. Yeah, well, Great Woods in Mansfield. Yeah. Man, yeah. yeah. I was a security guard there. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been weird if we yeah. knew each other? That's hilarious. This is better than LinkedIn. How did yeah, you guys... I, uh, I was <laughs> the, the reluctant security guard, because I would always bring a hoodie with me, yeah. and if shit went down, I'd cover up my security jacket and get the fuck out of wow. Dodge. Oh, I thought you'd throw I, in. I, I, brought, I brought a hoodie with me after like my first couple of days on the job. The first day on the job, there's a dude named Alley Cat. He was the dude who ran the security. They caught some drunk kid who stole a golf cart, so they chased him down tackled him and he was beating him in the face with a walkie talkie that was day one oh, cool oh. and i was like all righty it's one of these jobs <laughs> all righty <laughs> these jobs and it was uh, and i'm not a big person i'm five foot eight you're so still I'm like not... that now outside the fight looking in <laughs> yes, yes uh, exactly right uh, so and, and back then i was competing so i was only like 160 pounds i was really lightened i was not Getting in any tangles with some big giant drunk dudes. I'm like, right. fuck for what, twenty bucks an hour or whatever right. I'm getting. So I would just bring a hoodie with me. Mm-hmm. And when shit went down, I would zip up and one day shit went down. Wow. The Neil Young concert. And they what? Had, wow. During the Neil Young concert, the back area is all grass and they started bonfires. These fucking crazy Neil Young fans wow. threw a bunch of shit on the ground, just started fires. And then they started trying to break up these fires and people were pushing security guards. And then my friend Larry, who's like the nicest guy in the world, punched this guy in the stomach. And I'm like, okay, that's it. If Larry's punching people, like he's the nicest guy ever. Like these people are drunk well, and I crazy. Dude, I put that fucking hoodie on and I'm out. I just walked straight to my car and drove the fuck home. I didn't really? get my last paycheck, nothing. I'm like, I'm out. Wow. It was a full blown riot. 
dudes were throwing down and piles of people beating the shit out of each other. There was fires. They canceled the concert. They shut the concert in the middle of what's happening. For Neil, who was the opener? <laughs> I don't think that was the problem. It was the, it was there was two problems. Sometimes when you were in the back area where the grass was, the acoustics weren't so good. So like when people went to see comics, it was bad. It's not good. Like the, 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 maybe yeah. they fixed the sound, but back then it was a big issue. You had to wow. be inside the canopy to hear what the fuck was going on. What do you think of uh, oddball and like outdoor comedy? What do you think of that? I've done some outdoor things. I did a big outdoor place in Kansas City this year, and it was really fun. It was oh, really? fucking awesome. Yeah, but it was a summer night. You know, it was beautiful. We got lucky with the rain. There was no rain or anything. When uh, uh, Jeff and I did uh, the oddball, like we went on together, that was my most fun doing the oddball thing. And I always thought it was a great, like, Jeff Wills is super cool to comics and everything yeah, like that. I love But, Jeff. like, the only guy I've ever seen, like, actually look like he's having a great time was Chappelle doing it. Yeah. Like, I really, like, he's, like, so comfortable everywhere, but, like, in the outdoor venue, you know, he's, like, taking his time. And he makes it like a, a club. Yeah, like, I, I, it's just amazing to watch him do it. But the outdoor thing with the can never hear you know, yes. like the joke going off into outer space. Yeah. That definitely is 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 something that um, you know. Even the theater in the round, which is one I saw uh, Rodney Dangerfield there when I was like seventeen, mm -hmm. and that was another situation where the guy was just like crushing, 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 and the room cannot breathe. That kind of thing. And I was like, this is in the round. You know, I was like, wow, that's weird. You know, I was seventeen. I was like, wow, is this how it goes? Like, you know, why is he circling around like that? Is that is that part of it? You know, right. I didn't understand that it was in the round. You know, but that but now I realized that that's another like really hard venue to play is the round you know yeah i've only done a few of those i did the uh that place in phoenix that one's in the round the hollywood theater that's uh that's a great spot oh i, I know what you're talking that's, about i, I think louis did one of his hbo that's specials right. there and because george carlin did one right mm, i think so yeah he did so many of them so, that guy did them everywhere i mean every year that is bananas that's one of the craziest paces ever and you talk about someone who did it totally differently he would basically write a monologue he yeah right you know, just take his not time. working at all. Not you, working well, out. Kind of tighten it up on stage. They would uh, say, you know, as right. time, you know, uh. the bits as you would just keep doing them and figure out a better way to do them. But so basically, he'd write, he'd it, out write first? it out. Write the whole thing. Yeah, out. that's right. Yeah, and he did it every year. Wow, it that worked. was like at the yeah. height of of that HBO comedy thing. You'd like tune in specific just to see the special. Mm -hmm. Well, but, he was in a, a different place than anybody else because of how prolific he was. And some some would say like. Yeah, but you know, some of it wasn't my favorite stuff. And like, listen, it, it is impossible to write an hour every fucking year and have it your best version of that hour. You mm -hmm. need more time, a lot of the times. But he had to honor that commitment of getting the special out. Right, but what he did was he did something that was slightly different than comedy either, because it was even because it was like a lot of it was like a state of the union, a state of yes. like civilization. A state. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just comedy. It's like here's a really Philosophy. wise old guy he who's was mocking smart. shit, but he has some really good points, and he's going to do this every year. So it was more, it was it was different. It was more than it wasn't like he never worked out in clubs. Like I went to see him once, and he was and he had this whole bit about fuck everything. It was like basically fuck this and fuck that. And in part of it was comedy clubs. He's like t they say, George, you got to work out your shit in comedy clubs. He goes, fuck comedy clubs. Really? <laughs> <Everybody went crazy. laughs> just, I saw him years later at the store. I mean, he was just fucking around. But. I saw. That's when I knew I'd made it. I was like at the Improv back Ooh. in the day, and I was probably going out at two a.m. and. I still have it. There was a schedule that had George Carlin going on at like oh, 9.30. Really? So like five hours later, I went on at a prom show or something. But <laughs> Carlin came into the improv. I got to say hi to him in the back patio of the store. Just wow. hi. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Wow. Yeah. 
I was I like, wow. I saw him at the Aspen Comedy he Festival. He hang with comics. Oh, sorry. Dave. Yeah, no, no. He he definitely. He, I he wasn't into hanging with comics necessarily, right? I remember well, once, like he kind of like dissed the Friars Club. He's like, I don't want to hang with the older guys. I want to. It was weird. Hmm. I saw him I at the know. Aspen Comedy Festival, and he know. was like not doing anything. Like you know, he had like substance stuff going on. Oh yeah. And it, it was like he was treating himself to one glass of wine a day. But you know how like up to the brim, like it's one of those where it's like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> you see him like. Sipping on it, yeah. you know, like, and he's looking at me like, hmm, you know, like he's like, oh, he's a new comic, he's a big, you know, I'm like, hello, Mr. Carlin, and he's like, hmm, and back to the sipping on this one glass of wine a day. I love yeah. that. Well, he 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 got uh, injured, right, and had the pain pill problem. Oh, did he? So many fucking people, man. So he was a hardcore, you know, seventies guy too. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, he did a lot of that back in the day, but I think the uh, pain pills was uh, later on in his life, and he just said reached a point where he realized I've got an issue I gotta stop this and but he, he sorted it out I respect that he really committed to his craft like oh yeah man. and you know maybe he was trying to do other stuff here and there because he, he did a few acting things but that was not his thing yeah his thing was those HBO specials every year yep and no, the, no one else was doing the that quicker you then. figure out what your thing is lucky it's yeah, the such happier a lucky you'll be. thing yeah well his thing was always you know, uh, having a brilliant social point with humor attached to it. You know, that was his thing. Like some of his best bits were just like really good points about hypocrisy and the ridiculousness of our civilization with like really good punchlines. He would write to his subject. Yeah. Chris Rock does that too. He also like uh, with religion, he was like the first guy to really like, uh, you know, him and Bill Hicks, I th- always thought were like, you know, that was so cool, their takes on religion, mm, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, Lenny Bruce obviously opened that door. Oh, he, that's true. I'm he was sorry. the guy that opened the door. He was a pain in the ass. They <laughs> that's all, what Hackett used to tell me. About Lenny Bruce? Lenny was just a pain in the ass that got everybody in trouble all the time. There'd be oh, cops sure. at the comedy clubs you, and shit. You can't, you can't be that guy unless you're a pain in the ass. I mean, he was yeah. arrested multiple times Dude, for do we have that saying now? bad words. A do guy we, like him? Yeah. I think I, I don't the, think we need a guy like him in the, in a sense. Like the crowd is the, the he crowd would have been a different guy if he lived today. Right. You know, I mean, if he was alive today, he would just be a great comic. Oh. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have to do all the shit that he had to do. Like there was, it's hard for us to. Whenever you go back and listen to stuff like Lenny Bruce, it's really almost impossible unless you live through it. That to time, put yourself yeah. in that time. Yeah, to put it. That's why. Like I can kind of put myself back in the eighties. I can yeah. kind of remember right. vaguely. I have a sense of what it was like. Sure. I can kind of tell you. I don't have a goddamn clue as to what it was like in the sixties. Yeah. And so when he was doing this, we have to put it in context that there was no, there was no freedom. You right. couldn't say certain words. You couldn't talk well, about like certain subjects. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really crazy restrictions on the way people talked, and they brought him into court over and over and over again. Essentially, bankrupt him. He he couldn't work anymore, and by yep. the end, he just he died of heroin on the fucking bathroom floor. I mean, yep. he became a mess, and a lot of him being a mess was him dealing with his court cases. Like he's got there's recordings of him where he's going on stage with his legal papers, just reading the right. legal yeah. papers to the audience. He right. lost his fucking mind. Right. But we also came up in a club system, and I consider myself a club comic. Like that's what I do. That's what I'm supposed to do. But like these guys were before, like you say, Hackett and all these guys. Way before the club system, they played the Catskills. They played like some, you know, a, a Jewish camp somewhere. You know, they did yeah. that kind of thing. That was their like proving ground, and I'm sure that was like probably 
the hardest of the hardest gigs to do. You know, right. it's like, it's an all ages show. It's, you know, there may be a late show where they get to be a little saucier, but, you know, it really is a tough thing. And it's the same crowd for a whole week. I mean, honestly, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, so like, I, I give it up to those guys. Like Joan Rivers, who I think also is like an unsung hero of comedy. Like, she she's like crosses over that 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 thing from like you know where tv comedy becomes like a big deal like where you see him on like uh you know johnny carson all that kind of stuff like i love her sets i watched them with her man yeah she really was a great joke writer she She was a savage too she'd go after it well who else stayed relevant in there at 80 years old who else had new material at 80 nobody it's really just those two just carlin and her i guess so right i mean Who else? And she died trying to improve her voice, her instrument. Like, she was still staying in it. Yeah. Sad one. I, I was at her funeral. One. It was a really amazing. It was like a king died. She was the greatest. She had some serious fucking horsepower when it came to, like, her, her ability to deliver punchlines. And, mm-hmm. and one of the and best books I ever read, young comics out there, read Enter Talking by Joan Rivers about her early days in stand-up and acting. It's really... Mm-hmm. Don't read, ladies and gentlemen, Lenny Bruce, because <laughs> you'll start f- putting foil over your windows and shooting up. I I, <laughs> I did read that. It's a great book, That's right? That's how yeah. I started. I took a comedy class in New York. Who was teaching? Lee Frank, buddy of mine. He's out oh. here just writing. And I was a fat loser living in New Jersey with my grandfather, and my buddy said, hey, take this comedy class. I think you'd be good at it. I go, what? He's like, yeah, I think you'd be good at it. And I thought, well, it's near the bus station where I would go to work and then go visit my grandpa and take care of him. He was sick. And and I I would just go to this class for three hours. It was like a way to socialize, really. I didn't have a desire. I didn't even know what stand-up was. But the first assignment was to memorize a comedian's act and do it just for the class, just to get a sense of timing and what Mm. it was like. Right, <laughs> we understood it wasn't our material. It wasn't right, about right. that at all. And I, did, I heard Lenny Bruce was the coolest, so I went to the Springfield Public Library. I took out a Lenny Bruce the, live at Carnegie Hall double album. I still have it, and <laughs> and, and I memorized this routine. And I didn't get it. The, the the class didn't get it. And I realized, like, God, context is everything. It just right. didn't make. It just wasn't funny. It, right. it, it didn't hold up at all. It made almost no sense to me. So I realized, like, it really is like you were saying before, Dave. Like the moment, the time, present, the experience mm-hmm. of being there. People were so restricted back then in terms of their access to information, in terms of the way they talk to each other, that anything outside of the norm, anything being broadcast, and we have to also remember that broadcasting itself was only like forty or fifty years <laughs> old. Then. Right. So this is a fairly new medium, right? And anything that was even remotely uh, uh, just outside of what the accepted standard operating way of behaving was, was considered decadent and and racy and this dirty Lenny. They would, you know, like he would would talk about things that you're not supposed to talk about that. Yeah, the taboo subjects. But today, that same stuff has already been, he opened the door, Richard Pryor kicked it down, lit it on fire, Eddie Murphy nuclear bombed it, and then it it kept going on and Kennison and Hicks and it's those there's nothing there anymore yeah. there's no shame in any of these subjects anymore you can't there's no built-in weirdness to it that he experienced back then and he would have never been able to do comedy any differently. I think that's also what we need to understand. As if, like, Eddie Murphy went back to 1960 and did his same kind of material that he did in Raw, they wouldn't take... It wouldn't... 
everybody would be like, he's yelling at us. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? Right. Like, this is not comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, they wouldn't be ready for it. There's these stages that have to happen. And I think you, ha- you kind of have to have a guy like Lenny who's, like, spelling it out for people. And then a guy like Carlin takes it to a different place. And then, a- and then they just keep going. And then Pryor comes along and introduces this, like, incredible honesty to it. It's like each comic had one less layer of exposition in their yes. act so that you, almost like they opened for each other by decade or by five almost, years almost right that's and, so interesting and kinnison when kinnison came around it was the first time that i'd ever saw something i went oh well that the, comedy could be anything yeah. because i thought that comedy was these guys who would go on a tonight show because that's mostly what i'd see where they would go did you ever notice and they would yeah. be talking about stuff they noticed and i loved it i would yeah. love stand-up comedy but i never I never thought that stand-up comedy was anything like Kinnison. When I saw Kinnison for the first time, I was like, oh, this mm. is a totally different thing. Yeah. Like, this guy's doing a totally different thing. Right. Like, this is crazy. He's doing an inner anxious monologue. When he was standing in front of a guy going, uh, you know, you look at this face. You yeah. getting married? Look at this yeah. face. Oh, oh. Yeah. I was married twice. <laughs> I was married for two fucking years. Oh, nobody, nobody had ever done anything like that before. And I remember thinking at that time, like, wow, comedy is really fascinating because it can be so many different things. But he, I, he, he also wanted to be a rock star. Yeah, so he was cool a how, rock star. Yeah, but, that, but when you see, see all those great things that he could do, like his stage craft, I guess you would call it, yeah. the things he could do, he could really hold the stage. And in today's world where it's pretty much everyone's low-key, that's, that's kind of like the new style of like mm-hmm. low-key, whatever. It, like that, that to me always, uh, it was like, he was like a force of nature. That's yeah. what I was like. It was like this guy, like somebody opened the door and a hurricane came in. You do you know, know that? Like, I love that. He mm-hmm. has something like very seriously in common with Roseanne. They both, yeah, they both experienced significant head injuries huh. at a, a young age, oh, wow. and then from then on became this new person. Huh. Roseanne had the exact same story. She got hit by a car. I heard that. She got fucked up. She was in a mental hospital for High nine school. months. Yep. I mean, really bad. So when, when, when people talk about Roseanne and say bad things about her, I'm like, you, look, you really are doing I didn't know that. everyone a disservice by expressing this the way you're doing it because you're not even taking into consideration everything she does you should take into consideration she had a significant brain a a massive trauma to the brain when she was like 15 years old her head bounced off of the fender of a fucking car she was laid out she was in a coma she was in a mental institution for nine months after that right like this is like asking someone who has broken legs to not limp. Even That's when you what ta- you're asking. Even when you, I heard you talk to her about it. She almost like skipped over it, as if it was something she didn't really want to address. And you were like backtracked. She had, I, sh- I, I had to get it out of her because this is what I, I know about her, and she, all, she knows that I'm a giant fan. Like she knows. I, I always say, if you have to list like top 20 comics of all time, Roseanne is 100% in there and probably one of the most important ones. Because what she did when she f- first got on HBO, when she first, when pe- people f- first started, she would, first of all, she would fucking murder. Domestic goddess. Yeah, she would murder. Yeah. And she, she had a totally different style. Her st- she didn't give a fuck. Like when she was up there, it was the first time you saw a woman who was like aggressive and insulting and didn't give a fuck. Didn't give a fuck what she looked like. Didn't give a fuck what you thought about what she looked like. She was just there to be funny. Mm. And she knew that I had that, that opinion of her when she did the show. So it helped. You know, it helped mm-hmm. like, like mm-hmm. 
I'm not trying to hurt you in any way, and I uh-huh. just want people to understand who you are. Uh-huh. Mm. She's on a fucking bunch of different psych medicines, man. They've got her on all kinds of crazy shit trying to right. even her out. And then on top of that, she's taking Adderall and she's drinking, and like everybody relax. Like, right. leave that poor lady alone. Right. Like, you're going after her when she's in her 60s for a, f- a, a fuck-up on Twitter. Right. And you anyone know, like, who thinks that that lady looks black is lying. You're, you're either full of shit. Like, if you didn't know, if I said, okay, you don't know anything about her, what's the ethnicity? You'd be like, oh, a boy. Right. You know, I've got, I, I save the picture on my phone in case I get in a conversation with people about it. Because it's, it's one of those things where nobody wants to look like they are in any way racist. Right. No one wants to look at their racist. Right. I don't want to, but you, you also have to be honest. Doesn't mean you're racist if you look at that and go, I thought that, that was Dan like, Natterman. She could be a lot of things. <laughs> she could be a lot of things. She has long, straight hair, or not long, short, straight hair. Like, she could be a lot of things. This is not obvious. Well, and if you, for you to say that it's obvious, you're being disingenuous. Right. You're not, I can't talk to you because right. you're not being, this is, you're not realistic. This is not obvious. Well, you but know, Roseanne can I say, shouldn't be tweeting about politics no. in the middle of the night on Ambient. Well, she also shouldn't be tweeting about lizard people or any other crazy shit she tweets about. Right. But you know, Roseanne. Chemtrails and. Right. Before her show, when she went from comedy to her show, and, and once again, it was, uh, you know, uh, like, her act was her show. And, like, that was one thing that, like, since her, everybody was always like, you know, you got to, like, throw out in your act, like, 20 minutes about, like, what you are and who you think the sitcom should be. And it was like, it didn't work as well for anybody else except for her because that really was her life. Right. And it was her thing. It was organic. Like, like Ray Romano was another guy who was really good at that where he would put up, you know, his act. He's really a great joke writer, too. He would, like, totally, like, have these great jokes about his family and his wife and the expectations of their relationship. And then that became the the essence of that show. So yeah. then you see, like, everybody, you remember, there was definitely a decade of, like, agents going, like, hey, you got to get, like, you know, you know, did you have a dog growing up? Do a joke about that, you know, and, oh, like, yeah. try and get a sitcom going on that thing. I went through all that shit. Mm-hmm. Where they were trying to do sitcoms around people, and they would try to get you to put together, like, some sort of a theme and do it on stage for a sitcom. I remember yeah. seeing guys specifically craft an act that they thought was going to get the 12 minutes. Yep. Yes. People got seriously into it, man. It became like a different thing. It's like a goal. The goal was the sitcom. Did Tim Allen like, was another one. Did you like those days acting? I got lucky. Okay. I got super lucky. I got super lucky. First of all, that I never had my own show. All right. So I never had to carry anything. And then two, I did a really shitty one first, a one that should have been really funny, but then too many people got involved and it got too convoluted and fucked up and it just didn't work and that show got canceled right. and then i got lucky that i got on a show that was already they already did the pilot right. when i came on to news radio right. ray romano was supposed to do the pirate the pilot rather he gets fired they hired a new guy and then they filmed the pilot and then after they filmed the pilot they got rid of the new guy and then i came in that's oh, so wow. there was a like there was a lot of steps so you jumped, so I, you, you jumped the hard part of I, I jumped all of it and i walk I but ne- i mean creatively there's no way you found that fulfilling. Maybe at the time it News was. News radio was unusually free in how much you could create. You could mm. constantly improve special, lines. Yeah. Paul Sims is a genius yep. and the nicest guy in the world. And he would let you, like, he would just, he's no ego, would do the best shit. Like, he would let, like, Dave Foley was constantly rewriting jokes and constantly introducing new punchlines. Like, mm. he, he was like, 
you know, probably one of the, if you would look at all the punchlines that had ever been on the show, a, like a percentage of them you would attribute to Dave Foley, wow. like a significant wow. percentage. It's genius. But they would let him do it. They, they wanted everybody to do that. They wanted it's the only Andy. job where you want to do more than you're supposed to, and you're like mad if you, they don't let you. Well, there was eight people on the show, too. Right. It's a lot of human beings to be talking for 22 minutes. And, of course, Phil was the star. You know, right. Phil Hartman was a big star. He was so talented, that guy. So he, talented. He he was also like super professional. Think yeah, with, that guy would prepare. He would have a he would have a clipboard right or a, um, a notebook with all of his scenes in there with different colors for the tabs, and he would practice them. You'd, you'd see him sitting there by himself, just going over his lines and hmm. moving his head back. And An forth. actor. Yeah, I mean, wow. he was a fucking meticulous professional. Like yeah, I, I hate that, acting. <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I'm just, I'm just saying. But like, some guys, especially the comics, where they go and they get that sitcom. Grab that microphone. Oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, the comics, they get the sitcom and then they uh, ride it as long as they can, and then, then they go back to stand up. And yeah. we've seen that. You know, you can throw a dart at like a schedule anywhere in right. the country, and you'll see that guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm always like, you know, isn't it sad that you didn't keep doing the stand up? Because now you're kind of right back to where you started in terms of stand up. Like you didn't get to grow that they, way. They but, fall you know, apart. Yeah, a lot I, of them like and, they don't don't do it for years. And like everybody's always like, you know, this is the best touring time when you have a sitcom. But most people don't want to go on tour like that. You know, to me, I would be like, yeah, you're right. Let's get out there. You know, but well, you you could do it for a few months, but the then you'd have to, yeah, the, the time you're filming, you're going to be stuck at in L.A. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, especially back then. When you start out a sitcom, you're doing 12-hour days until you figure out how to do it. Right. True. Once the, the show had been figured out by like season three or four, we were down to like three days a week sometimes. Four days a week, mostly. Mostly four. Very rarely five. Hmm. Unless there was some significant crazy scenes. How many did you make? We did 98, I think. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. We just did three. And we're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Never Too, do much. It. Too much. Too <laughs> much. Yeah. Maybe did 99, something like that. But um, I did 148 Fear Factors. Wow. And then I did six more. Then we did when, when it came back and right. six or seven more. So I think it did, we did seven. But, yeah. That was preposterous. That was when I was losing my mind. And was it even one a day or was it less than no, one a day? No. One took three days. Wow. Sometimes you could bang out one in two days. Like you could have the B stunt early in the day and the C stunt at night, like the final stunt at night. How yeah, was that's that my process? <sighs> um, you know what? Again, very fortunate. It was a great gig, plenty of money, and it was all good. And it definitely helped my stand up because it gave me fuck you money too. It gave mm -hmm. me the the ability to not worry about like having money in the bank because I'm not. I don't have like extravagant tastes. I'm not too ridiculous with money, but I I like feeling like I I don't have to worry. Like as soon as you don't have sure. to worry about, it, okay, good. Don't think about that anymore. Now think about other things. So it it really helped me there, and also the preposterousness of it was a boundless source of material <laughs> yeah which is such a ridiculous I show loved it. i hosted a spinoff that didn't get picked up what was it called say uncle <laughs> Hurwitz's her show too <laughs> was it and I love and i was writing on the man show and that's how i knew david Hurwitz, who was producing fear factor and they had a show called say uncle which i later parodied in the de niro movie i wrote the comedian <laughs> called like stop uncle or whatever it was but anyway the the big one of the big things was a guy a contestant got in a 
turkey pen, mm-hmm. and we like put maple syrup all over him, and he rolled around, and these like birds like pecked at him, and he's, his family's there watching, and he starts bleeding, and Jesus. and I stopped the thing, and the producers were mad, They're like you can't stop in the middle. I'm like the guy's crying. I go, <laughs> and, and it was just a total disaster. You could tell it was going to be a big hit, but it was risky. And then I remember going to Jimmy Kimmel's like premiere party for Jimmy Kimmel Live. And uh, I saw the head of ABC there, uh, and I'd never done this in my entire life. He was, like, getting a drink, and I walked over, and I said, please don't pick it up. <laughs> really? I said, yeah, it's, it's rough. It's going to be too hard to stand behind. Really? They're torturing people. Whoa. And they didn't pick it up. And I, he, he just kind of looked at me and smiled. What, what year is this? This would have been 2003. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that was right after Fear Factor w- was first launched. When When... Those shows, what happens is you get used to one thing, and so you have to do something that's bigger and better the yeah, next year. Yeah. And so when we came back, I felt uncomfortable with a lot of the shit. They know right. how to do it. Like yeah. these stunt guys are top of the food chain. They, but they were doing some sketchy shit. Like one of them, we had these people huh. chained to a tree. Yeah. Uh, with uh, bungee cords uh. that were attached to a helicopter, mm. okay, wow. and they had to figure out the right locks to unlock the bungee cord that they're the straps that keep them to the tree. And then as soon as they do, they undo the strap and tush, they go fucking shooting out into space into the center <laughs> of this gigantic <laughs> canyon, and they're bouncing underneath this oh, helicopter. Wow. And I remember thinking, like, this doesn't... Yeah. If we could do this a thousand times, one of them, someone's going to die. Of course. One of them, someone's going to die, and it might be the next one. But it never happened. We got lucky, dude. I really feel like we got lucky. I really, really, honestly, 100% feel like we got lucky. There was a few things. First of all, there's a certain amount of risk that you take whenever you're doing anything like jumping a car off of a building roof, which we did. We had people fly cars across a train, a moving train. Okay, there's risk involved in that, right? But the one that scared the shit out of me the most was bull riding. We had people ride bulls. It was the only time I told contestants, don't do it. I'm like, if you, if you want to ask me, I would say, don't do it. You on can, air? No, 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 no. Before we, mm-hmm. no, on air, I mean, I gave them the, the standard. Right. But when, you know, I would talk to them, I'd say, look, this is up to you, right? I mean, if you want to go on, I mean, people do know how to ride bulls. But you don't know how to ride a bull. We're not teaching you how to ride a bull. You're not going through classes. You're not t- yeah. slowly yeah. but surely building up your techniques. Right. You're just going to go ride a bull. Right. Don't do that. Right. Don't do that. That's right. what I would say. Right. And we had this girl. She was like 98 pounds. She got launched off the back of this bull. And she look at this. These people went fucking flying. Like, wow. look at that. That that thing's kicking. You got to know how to fall, too. Bar- yeah. Barely misses them when it's kicking. I mean, they're wearing helmets and shit. But look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Uh, wow. I, hit her. I mean, come on, man. Look at this. I mean, that's that the fall, the way she felt like that, that is like getting hit in the back of the head with the world. Yeah. So, like, my personal feelings about trauma and about what's dangerous and shit like this, this is a no, no, especially for a 90 pound woman like this poor lady. Oh, my goodness. She got up. Cute little fella I was back then. (laughs) Yeah, she got up, man. She was tough as shit. But everybody, I feel like in that one, I feel like we got lucky. I feel like we rolled the dice. Because if they stomp you, they they lacerate livers and crush crush spleens. And they can stomp you. The funny thing was those stunt guys are so fucking tough. Those guys are so used to putting their ass on the line that they don't think anything about someone doing something risky. Right. To them, that's what you do. You show right. up for work. Right. And um, 
That's definitely a different in your head, like alpha something. They're to, animals. To have to do that. To be, well, they're, to, they're like fighters. To crave that. Or you know? like uh, you got to wonder what the wrestler. family's saying. You know, does it keep them from having a family? Does a, who's going to marry you if you're throwing your life in the, on the line unrelated to war or famine? <laughs> well, I think there's a certain allure to it. Remember that that TV uh, show, The Fall Guy? Yeah. yeah. How about Evil Knievel? <laughs> yeah, Women loved that. him. Women loved Evil Knievel. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> Women love risk takers. They like being a mex guys that do those flips and shit and th- those guys are cr- those, those guys really that shit. and now they have the parkour guys where they like climb up a building with no any any uh any kind of that's what you should do dave so you could mind. smoke you should do parkour uh, sit on, a, on, a, on a iron iron grid do you exercise at all dave i do the kettlebells yeah you were telling me that yeah you still doing that I you know can I you know because I I wanted to ask you this off the mic but it's like I, I seem to be getting more out of pull ups and and just regular calisthenics than I am out of the out of the kettlebell experience I think it's because like maybe I'm just more into it now you know like, well there's definitely no better exercise for you than pull ups and push ups that, that to me if is I the had one to do, if I if somebody had to say for the rest of your life you got a pull up bar and no weights yeah you know you're gonna be okay I'd be like I'll take that over not having a pull up bar. Because I think there's certain amount, there's certain kind of workouts that it's you so only hard. get when you manipulate your own body to mm-hmm. push-ups. I think too, because you could vary your push-up widths, right. and you could do so many things just with chin-ups and push-ups, and then with body weight, like single-leg squats and things like that. You can get a, a tremendous workout in with just a chin-up bar and yeah. body weight. And there's there's a. Uh there's something about like that. Do a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even do like ten. Like ten would be great for me. But like the guys who can do a hundred, it's so hard. It's almost like torture to do chin it. Chin ups. Chin ups. Anybody uh, could do a hundred chin ups is a fucking savage. Yeah. Like I. I, I mean that definitely is the goal. But I'll I'm, do I'm old and I'm fat. I do. A, I'll do a hundred in. You know. You can. Like two sets. Yeah. I don't do it though. I do sets of ten. And yeah. I, I don't do any more than 10, and I do them multiple times a day. Hmm. Like, I have a chin-up bar in my house, so I'll walk in, and I'll just jump up and yeah, do, do 10. 10. Mm-hmm. And I've found that, like, the one thing that's helped my squeeze, like, with jujitsu and with uh, being able to pick my body and just move around better, is to just do them randomly throughout the day. I hmm. do chin-ups all the time. Like when it, like over those the bars in the back, I'll do a, a show here and then I'll go back and do ten chin ups. I'm Bang. like that with masturbation, so that I can good. have sex anytime. You're always <laughs> You're ready, ready to go. go. Always ready to go. But um, if I had to pick one thing, it would be that. It'd be a chin-up bar and then bodyweight stuff. You could do that for sure. That's if you're not into the kettlebells. On the, on the road, it's it's like hard to do. You know, like I don't like going to the the hotel gym or anything like mm-hmm. that. I like to keep it in the room. So sometimes, you know, jump rope or something like that. But uh, I would say. I've gotten in better shape, but uh, I still feel like you know, um, you know, crap most of the time. But uh, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, like it was all that stuff, like push-ups and sit-ups and all that kind of stuff. And now that I'm back to it, I'm like, you know, I forgot how great this is. You know, it's really cool. You know, what's a great thing for the we'll road? We'll do some pull-ups afterwards. You ever you fuck with those TRX things? You know, oh yes, no, you my could trainer just was helping strap me it into the door of the mm-hmm. hotel room, and you could do all these crazy exercises. And it's real small; you could just tuck it in your bag. I you love know? the I love the hotel room. Like we've all seen that in the movie, <laughs> yeah. the assassin doing a couple of right. a couple of very slow push-ups. <laughs> well, sometimes if I go down to a gym and there's nothing that I want to do in there, I'll work out my hotel room. Well, you, you never were like a runner, were you? Like I run now. Oh, you yeah, do, but it's only been over the last couple of years, really. But even when you were like doing a it's taekwondo, right? Yeah, they, I didn't they never run had much. I thought that was part of their thing. They they had like a military kind of feel to it. They were they? definitely had a military feel to it, and some some different. Uh, they would call it dojangs. 
You know, Jeff's a black belt in Taekwondo. Too. I know. We uh, actually, on the show, he pulls out the uh, nunchucks. Ooh, yeah. That's not a part of it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm rusty, I have to admit. I need to get back Do you exercise it. these days? I've been doing a little bit of yoga, but honestly, I, I've been doing a lot of not exercising lately. He, need, need, he needs and like, I don't feel good. Yeah. Like, I'm in a place now where I need to start exercising again. We talked about this in the parking lot the other day, right? I've been on a stand up hiatus. And when I'm not performing, I don't care as much about my instrument. Right. And I've been editing and writing and producing, so I've, I don't know. I've gotten a little, not late, I guess lazy, and, and I don't feel as good. Like, I know, I recognize it in my body, so I need to snap out of it. I think he needs, like, a, like, a, uh, like a group or like people to hang with because mm-hmm. you know that I would make it more fun working out by myself yeah if there was like a, if there was like a group of guys you know come on I'm man sure don't let could, us down you could find like a crossfit class to join or some shit like that i mean they always have those kind of things there's all sorts of different classes that yeah you like uh, you know i like great yoga too? i just been yoga is awesome they i've done one of those high intensity interval training things at a yoga place too where you do some yoga and some like really light weights but all these crazy little exercises mm-hmm. that's fun too i got a good dancer pose you got a dancer pose yeah what are you doing let me see easy oh you're trying to do that don't hurt yourself easy yes oh that is that what it's called <sighs> Standing so, bow. So good. I think it's called standing bow. Yeah. And there's this one. <laughs> Keep it going. Where are you going? Uh, no one can see you. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the, a good one. Yeah. You're supposed to grab both legs, but that's okay. Do it. Grab that other leg, bitch. You got it. Nope. This is one so more time. sad. <laughs> you really do yoga? Yes. Come on, son. Here he goes. Yeah. Nice. And the Ooh. headphones on. Take it to the new level. It's like a well, NASA mission. What's that one called again? Uh, Cry I, for help. <laughs> I call it the crab. <laughs> so when you when you say you do yoga, like how often do you do it? When I would go, I would go to hot yoga. You go a couple times a week, or now I just kind of do it in my backyard to stretch out after a long flight or something. That's good. Anything. And it's also kind of like you at the tank. Like that's a time to think about life, to think through right. a bit, to think through a mission that you're working on, some mm-hmm. family issue. It's like quiet. You're, it's about you. For me, yoga, it's like giving yourself a massage. It's more gratifying than going to get Working a weights and stuff. I like to stretch out before sets. You ever do that? Do yeah. stretches before mm-hmm. you go do yeah. a set? That yeah. feels real good. That, like, there's something about that that's very relaxing. Puts you in a good... I think you carry around when you're tight. You carry around a lot of like in weird tension that you don't necessarily want. Pigeon pose. That's where all the tension is. Pigeon pose. That's the one where, you're, where your leg comes under your... <laughs> I want to ask Joe this. What the fuck is he doing? Oh wow, Jeff! That, oh, I've that never one. seen this one. Yeah, I've seen oh, that one. That's called. Is that that's called? A good that's one. a hip opener. Yeah. Yeah. Good Look at hips. that. Good hips, bro. <laughs> that looks so sad. <laughs> that's the hey, best one. Like if you go to hot yoga, mm-hmm. people will do that pose and start crying because there's so oh. much emotion and anxiety release from the hips. Yeah, that's not real. Joe, you're just crying because someone told you you should cry. Not me. So no. much emotional anxiety. <laughs> you want to be a part of it. The group <laughs> cry. Nonsense. They always want to say that. This is opening up your colon. You don't have any fucking. <laughs> you, there's no diagrams. You don't know where the colon is. Like you better stop. You better stop saying that. You don't have any. Fucking, there's what, tension. What they, uh, there's tension in the hips. Cat scans. What's hey. that stuff called? Magnetic resonance, MRIs. You don't have that, bro. You don't have any like real evidence. There's emotion. There's a little ball of me right <laughs> in my hip. And then when I lay like this, I just think about my dad. And I, yeah. 
oh, I miss him so much. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. You're not, you don't have any memories specifically. And people say, no, no, no. But when I'm in that position and they tell you that it's an emotion, if emotions come out here, you just let them. I'm like, what emotions are going to come out? And then I started crying. <laughs> You're being hypnotized. Someone told you. Well, they t- it's they a, put a it's suggestion. also permission to be emotionally vulnerable. Yes, that. That in hypnosis. And you it's can't also, get that eating lunch at a deli or working out with the boys in the gym if you're at a quiet, dark yoga place with other people that are staring at their own at the floor. Right. You can relax a little emotionally. That's a logical definition. That's a logical way of explaining Namaste. what's really going on. Namaste. I mean, it's, Joe, it's good. It's Joe, good. let me ask you a question. Do you eat before you go on stage? No. Me neither. This yeah. guy has to eat like he has to eat before he goes on stage. Like, like right, right before. before. Mm. Like well, pretty much right before. I mean, I don't think there's anything Just, wrong with eating some fruit right before you go up on stage. But for me, I don't want to. F- there's a certain amount of resources your body is going to use for digestion. That's just a fact. Yeah. Okay. And there's a reason why fighters don't eat a fucking steak yeah. and mashed potatoes right I hate before that they feeling. fight. Because your body will be like, fuck you, dude. We got to digest this stuff and it's sloshing around in your stomach. It mm. gets in the way. I hate it. Obviously, this is. But I know plenty of people who have to eat. I uh, Sometimes, I in that first episode of our show, I eat during the show. <laughs> yeah. I ordered mozzarella sticks <laughs> to the stage. That's how hungry I was by the late show. There's nothing wrong with that, man. It's not not to say that you can't do it. And for you, you're so casual. Like, you're probably better off feeling good. Then you are like yeah. being having more mental alertness slightly, <laughs> but also like being hungry. I like the hunger. I like the hunger is annoying. Yes. Yeah, I ate in the car coming to your studio today, and the mm. first thing I said to Jeff, who answered the door, was, "Is there anything to eat around here?" <laughs> because it's like it's an anxiety thing too. Yeah. Like before you're going to perform, and I remember reading years and years and years and years ago that David Letterman would eat pineapple right before he went on. So that I, makes always, sense. I always ask for pineapple in my riders. Hi, Stacy. Pineapple's a good Stacy Mark in the yeah. house. I love he would, her. He also would do a fasting and then he would like pig out. That was his thing. Letterman. Right. That's what I heard. That like yeah. he would like not eat for like two or three days and then he would do that. And that's how my friend Russ does it. Mm. That like that kind of thing of like where you like just basically Spartan, like nothing, 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 and then like you get to eat whatever you want. I believe for sure that people eat too much food. And me included. I eat too much me, food. For and sure. when I when I fast, like especially intermittent fast, I do like sixteen hours at night. When I do, do that, I feel way better. Way better. Wait, what? Fasting. Between dinner Not and eating. the next time I eat is 16 hours. Jeff, can you imagine that? No. <laughs> you could. You just decide. And you go to bed. I would have to be getting a colonoscopy or a <laughs> You just, look, you eat dinner. You're done at 8. You go to bed or do whatever the fuck you do, but just no more food. How do you food. perform? How do you... What are you talking about? He can't, yeah, I'm you have to, to eat to go on. Going on stage at 10, the last thing I want to do is eat any later than 8. Mm. <laughs> I go right to the cookies at the back of the comedy store. Okay, cookies are different, though. Oh. That's quick carbs. That actually oh. is not a bad idea. I see. That's not a wow, bad idea. Wow, really? No, not a bad idea at all. Like You don't cookie, eat that stuff, do you? I'll eat that stuff. Look, when I was doing this um, Sober October fitness challenge with Ari and, and Tom Segura and right. Bert Kreischer, I ate everything in sight. I ate pizza and cookies. I ate everything because I just, I just wanted calories. But the problem with cookies and stuff like that is like you can eat them but you just can't make a habit of eating them all the time or it will fuck you up it's just gonna fuck you up Something's but right before me, you yeah. go on stage not a bad idea got a little pick me up energy yeah. quick carbs yeah. your body's gonna break down those carbs and those sugar and glucose is a very good uh, fuel for the brain 
Really? You know? Yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. Carbs are good for the brain, especially in like uh, if your body's carb adapted. If you eat carbs all the time and you can eat some carbs right before you go on stage, that'll give you like a little energy. I feel so much better. Even lifting. Yeah, really. Like if you wanted to have a cookie or maybe even a Snickers bar and then lift weights, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say don't do that. Wow. I'd say that'll give you some fucking sugar to burn off. Like it's not the best food for you in the world, but you're asking for it for a very specific reason. Like after it's over, I'd say yeah, go have some salmon and some vegetables and eat healthy but right before you want to work out like I, you could drink a coke right like you you could drink right. a coca-cola and if you're going to lift for an hour okay go ahead drink a coke right. who gives a shit right. you're going to burn that shit off and it's just going to be fuel that you use it's, i wouldn't suggest wow, you man. do it all the time but it's not going to have a negative effect on you it's really a cumulative thing with people in diets it's eating too much sugar too much bullshit for too many days in a row and not giving your body a chance to relax See, when I, when I don't eat, I never consider, like, oh, that's lightheadedness. I'm like, I'm probably having a stroke right now. <laughs> I go, this is it. I should find I a place to lay down. I food more Pull than over. sex, I think. That's awesome. Well, listen, food is fucking phenomenal, right? And you're lucky. You live in New York City, and then you come to L.A. So you're in both places. Right. And you're in two spots that have some of the greatest restaurants on the planet Earth. Mm. And if you're like a foodie, yeah. right. if you're a foodie, do you consider yourself a foodie? you got some cash, Jeff right. Ross, you can Hell go yeah. wherever the fuck you want. I do. Yeah. We do. We had a, you can <laughs> order a nice bottle of wine and have a fucking beautiful steak with the right accoutrements. And, you know, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful pleasure. And if I eat a steak, some red meat, mm. I eat, it's fuck or fight. Yeah. It's like I'm either on stage or, <laughs> or you're on I'm the like toilet. ready to go all night. <laughs> like if I, as soon as I eat a steak, and yeah. I don't eat them as much as I used to, but we were eating really a lot on the tour. Remember, it was you, me, and Yamanika. Yeah. That was a great. What was what were you guys having there? Like a porterhouse. You know the thing where like not only are the ribs still there, but the hooves, mm. like that kind of thing. Like yeah. really, basically, like a do <laughs> it yourself, do it yourself kind of steak. Bone in rib. And we really went to yeah, we went to town on that. Should eat more of that. I, really I love a good that. steak. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think what's wrong with steak, with with what people think was wrong, what's wrong with red meat, is all the stuff you eat with it, all the sugar and bullshit and bread and pasta and then alcohol and sedentary life. There's a bunch of things, but I think if you're a healthy person who exercises all the time, I don't think steak's bad for you at all. I don't even think a little bit. I think it's good for you. I think it's the opposite of bad for you. Hmm. I think all of our preconceived notions about what's healthy. All of them vary because some people, they really don't do good with red meat. Some people don't do well with fish. People have weird bodies. I don't eat fish. Some I don't like it either. It. Do you eat it? it? Love it. You do? Love that, fish. That right away like steps up your whole game, right? That's For like, sure. It's like, a life-saving thing. Well, if you get a lot of those essential fatty acids that you can get from like an oily fish, like a salmon, they're, they're so good for you, man. Yeah. So good at reducing inflammation. Do you, do you take fish oil at all? No. Yeah, one of the best things you can take fish oil, krill oil, anything getting those essential fatty acids which so many people are missing from their diet just getting a good healthy supply of it every day, it's just good for everything man it's good for your skin, it's good for your brain good for muscle development fish oil, yeah fish oil is phenomenal, it's good for inflammation <laughs> and if you have joint aches and stuff like that fish oil is, do I have a booger? I feel like I have a booger, you know how you like touch your nose good. and it feels moist and you're like what's happening here do I, do I have a clinger? What's going on here? We're good. I think you're clean. You're good. But uh, fish oil is just one of the best things, man. It's so good for you. What wow. is it? What is fish oil? Yeah. It's oil extracted from fish. And what the they tears usually of the do fish. Is, yeah. No. A little bit of cum. They, they, um, Dave they sells that at the merch it. booth. At the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, so it's like David have you ever like caught, caught like a, what, what is it, like a sport fish, you know, like a big one or anything like that? And then you would make steaks out of that too? 
Um, I've done that with the, the the most delicious thing I think I caught was a wahoo. I think I know what, what, that is. what is the other name? That's for huge. It? There's another too. name for it. It was pretty big. No. We caught it in Hawaii. It was phenomenal, man. Because it's big. We, we brought it. We were staying at a hotel. And we brought it to the uh, the waiter or the uh, chef in the hotel would cook stuff for you, and you would just bring him the the uh, the fish, and you know he would go, "How do you how do you guys think you want to prepare this?" And so we said, "I don't know. Like, what do you think? Like, it's like, what would you do if somebody brought you this?" He goes, "I would prepare it a bunch of different ways." He goes, "This is a huge fish, so I can make you guys like a little bit of ceviche, a little bit of sushi." I'm like, "Yes." Perfect. Wow. So it was. He cooked it six hours after it was dead. I mean, we caught mm. it, and then six hours later, we're eating it for lunch. It mm. was insane. It was so good. That is cool. Oh, that's it right there. Wow. That's what it looks like. There's another name for it, and though. Hawaii, they call it an Ono. Oh no, that's oh, right. No, that's yeah. right. It's oh, delicious. No. It's so. Look good. how the fish is looking at the camera too. Oh Damn. wait, that's not a f- what. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's crazy. <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, it's do you uh, like fishing over hunting? No. Fishing like is harder. Both. I like them both. You do? Hunting is way more intense, and I feel way worse for the animal. Like, I don't feel bad for fish. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know. For whatever reason. Mm. I'm just being honest. Like, if yeah. I catch a big salmon, yeah. and I'm like, sorry, dude. Right. But this is what I'm here for. Like, But when I shoot a deer, I'm, there's always a little part of me that's like, Whew. Ooh, that's tough. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I, you know, I eat, and I know that if I don't do this, they're going to die of either starvation or disease, or they're going to be ripped apart, asshole first by coyotes. Like this is not a good end for them, no matter what. And me shooting them is probably the best end they're ever going to get. Interesting. All those justifications aside, it's a different feeling when you see like an elk down than when I yes. catch a salmon. If I yep. catch a salmon, it's hundred percent happiness. But what about when you pull the trigger? Um, Seeing the animal down is one thing, but what about knowing it's coming? It's hard to keep your shit together. That's the hunter. That's the hunting. You get emotional? No, you don't. You get nervous. You don't want to fuck it up. You don't want to injure anything. So there's a lot of anticipation in that moment. It's it's very intense. Hmm. And uh, whatever amount of meat you get from that animal whenever you eat it, you're going to think about that moment. You think I think about that moment every time I eat. You lick your lips. Well, you think about it like this is a this was a intense life or death moment in life, like this uh, circle of life food yeah. chain moment in life that I participated in, and now I'm eating it. So I know exactly what the food is, as opposed to going to Morton's, get a nice steak, and you know get some mashed potatoes. I don't know where the fuck they grew that potato. I don't, I don't, I don't know where that. I cow get that came feeling from. when I open the. Uh can of Pringles <laughs> when I'm on, when I'm in the refrigerator aisle at Ralph's and creamsicles. Or... Do you think? Do you like fishing at all? I used to fish as a kid in the Hudson River with my grandfather. We would catch bass, and I really loved it. I haven't done it since I was a kid. Really? Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun thing to do. It's a passion. Yeah, with just if you could find a sp- like if you're doing a gig and you could find a spot that has like a party boat. Especially, yeah. and they they'll take you out, and everybody dunks a line, and people are pulling fish left and right, and everybody's laughing, and people right. are drinking beers. It's fucking fun, man. I bet. It's fun, yeah. But that was a big thing in New England. We used to do party boats for blue fish, and we just go to a spot, and everybody drop their line in. They'd be pulling these fish up, and then you know you cook them later that night. It's fantastic. Hmm. Wow. It just makes you think about what a fish is too. And how weird it is. We got this alien world connected to us. We pull these things out, and cut their fucking heads off, and cook them up. <laughs> well, you've been to Japan and all those places. <laughs> I have been to Japan, but I fucked up when I was there and I didn't go to the fish market. 
Yeah. Oh man. I heard the fish market in Tokyo is one of those. Huh. It's like a million events. fish we don't even know about that they like. They, it's crazy what really? they. Yeah. It's it's so so interesting to see like you know we're so used to like you said bread and all that stuff. It's like you know is it a meal without bread? It's like these people like Guys go making me months without hungry. seeing a piece of bread. Yeah, know? they're not into bread and they're all thin. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. They're, they're, they're noodles. A lot of times they're rice noodles. It's very different. You know, there's wheat noodles there too, though, right? They That's, just they eat different than us. They have a completely different style of eating. And just it's one of the coolest things about Tokyo, man, is that it's almost like an alternative country. It's, it's oh, you mean the city? Because it's so different. Like, say if you're in Los Angeles, right? You, you leave from Los Angeles, and you know you're here in 2018, and you're driving around. This is the way people live over here, and this is how people are in traffic, and this is how people are when they come to the comedy store and all these different places. And then you go to Tokyo, you go, oh wow, this Future. is also people in 2018 right. that are living at the exact same time, but they're doing it totally differently. Like everybody's super polite as you walk down the street. There's no people bumping into anybody. Nobody's yelling at anybody. They're very polite. But they're also very Japanese, right? The majority of the people you see are Japanese. Yeah, it's, it's homogeneous. Slightly integrated, right? I mean, there's some, you see some Africans there. You see some people like us there. But it's mostly Japanese people. It's, uh, it's interesting to see. Have you seen this TV show on Amazon called The Man in the High Castle? No, what is it? <clears throat> it's, a future, it's basically America if the Nazis won the war. Whoa. And they partner with the Japanese. Whoa. And the Japanese own California. Northern California, and the Nazis own the rest of the country. And the Midwest is sort of a no-man's land. So New York is Nazi New York. They split it at the Rockies. But, you, but, but Japanese... Um, Whoa. Is, ja- it, is this Japanese, a series? It's based, yeah. It's, a it's in Philip, its third season. I'm obsessed with it. Philip uh, Dick is the, uh, is the sci-fi oh, writer. So wow. he's classic. It's, it's one of his books. Oh, no shit. Yeah, so he's the mayor of New York. He's great, basically. this guy. That guy's been in a lot of stuff. He's what, really good. Who, what is his name? forgot the actor's name Rudis rufus sewell sewell yeah. rufus sewell is that yeah is that how i say it yeah it plays, he's really good look he at plays his the governor name. of new york what the auber gruben fufer the auber gruben fufer is the Fu- governor Fuhr, of new york yeah. Fuhr is the governor of new york yeah wow. but it's a very interesting show basically new york cops wearing <sighs> nazi armbands so they're still new york cops like hey the Fuhrer says i gotta give you yeah. a ticket you know it's like that and wow. uh, it's fascinating how they do the show. But what's interesting about Japanese culture in the show is you see the 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 fancy class, the the the, the aristocratic class of Jap- of Japan uh, runs essentially um, San Francisco, and you see how they're very snobby and very particular, and and mm. they don't really like to mix with the Americans. Wow, with the Anglo's, it's a fascinating yeah, that's a, show. That's a really that that guy Philip K. Dick, do you know him? Mm-hmm. Am I saying his name right? I, yeah, I yeah. He really is. He's really uh, he's really super cool. Like in terms of the sci-fi stuff, and uh, yeah. You know. What is what else has he written? I've I've seen there was another movie that I saw of his like within the last two years. You're right. Uh, what is it? He, could you could you bring up his uh, his yeah, books? Because I would know. What other movies did he do, or did they do they adapt of his movies? What do we got here? So this Scanner guy wrote Darkly. that show? Oh, Scanner Darkly. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's right. Damn. He wrote a lot of shit. The Adjustment Team isn't that a movie, too? Mm. Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, the art direction is really cool. The idea of Nazifying America. You know what's interesting, too, is 
you can still do that in a movie where you can still play Nazis as long as they're, you know, the bad people and some right. either historical thing or some something that's going on now. That's really the only way you could portray Nazis. Like, you're not allowed to be a Nazi for Halloween. Sorry. Yeah. Right? That's you true. can't. That's like, true. people have said, like, people have tried it and you get called out for it. Like, there's rules now. You can't be a you can be a I Nazi if you want to get on that show. What well, do your what did your are, kids go for Halloween? Did they do they do that or yeah, do they, they even were mermaids. have mermaids? It, it was very adorable. They were mermaids. Um, <laughs> but when you're if you're going dressing up for Halloween, you could be so many terrible things. Right. You could be vampires and werewolves and demons and everybody's okay, cool, cool. And zombies. Dictators. I went dictators. as a plastic straw. Genghis Khan. You could be right. Genghis Khan. Can't be Hitler. You could be Saddam Hussein and people will laugh. If, yes. Saddam Hussein, we got him. We got that guy. But if you dress as Mengele, you've ruined the party. <laughs> if you dress as Osama bin Laden, that might get your ass kicked. You might get your ass kicked right. for that one. Right, That was too soon. But if you dress like... You could probably dress like uh, the president of Iran. What's that dude's name? That dude that came over here and said a bunch of crazy shit Shaw. about gay people? <laughs> Abu Jababababa. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? But why? But why is, let's just talk about it for a second. I remember when... People were offended that there was an Anne Frank Halloween costume. Mm -hmm. Now, if the point of talking about the Holocaust or something like that is never forget, and a 14-year-old, in a non-mocking way, wants to embody Anne Frank, why is that offensive? I don't understand that. But they're never going to do it non-mocking. right? Every time you're making a Halloween costume, you're almost always trying to be silly, right? You're always mm -hmm. oh, look, Anne Frank, he's hiding in the attic. halloween cost. <laughs> mm. But... I don't know. It all depends on, to me, your intentions. A hundred percent. You should be able to wear whatever the fuck you want. That's you why really I never understood when that Prince Harry got all this shit for dressing like a Nazi. It's like, I don't know, maybe... When maybe. did he dress like a Nazi? He, he dressed uh, for... It was a costume party. Yeah. And, he and then all the Nazi? World War II veterans were like, what, you know, what would you do? Why would you do that? You know? Because that doesn't mean he's right. glorifying it, does it? I guess, if he's the prince. Right, but you could be a Mongol... You could be one of the Mongol horde that tore through Europe. But he's also a symbol millions. unto itself. He's a symbol of the English royalty and all that kind of stuff. I guess because it's hundreds of thousands of years later. It's okay. Hey, but he grew up all right. He he's, got out of it. That motherfucker's <laughs> living under a microscope, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what he can get away with. But pretty much no one can get away with being a Nazi anymore. There was a guy from, like, North Carolina or something like that recently. Him and his son were Nazis for... For Halloween. There's one person that can get away with it, and I can't say too much because we haven't released it yet, but oh, okay. Gilbert Gottfried. No, he can get away uh, with I know it. If you're a Jew, you can get away with it. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know about you that. Have a, yeah, you can. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's you know, Well, that was one of the things about Roseanne, too. Yes. I, go ahead. You're right. I mean. Remember when she did that? She dressed as a Nazi? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always think that stuff's funny. When I was a 13-year-old kid in Hebrew school or grade school learning about the First Amendment, this is one of the reasons I became a comedian was because I used to just draw swastikas on my notebooks just because just because I knew I could. I was like, we were, they would teach us about dictatorships, and right. I would go, "Wow!" So in any other country, they can't do this, and I would just do it, make myself smile, and then cross it out. And I go, in any other country, I'd get my tongue cut out. I go, that's the most beautiful thing is that you can say fucked up, terrible. You, you can dress like an asshole. Like bad taste is not a crime. Right. Yeah, and that was what one of the. You remember the Yale uprising a couple of years back? 
There was a, a guy, um, Nicholas, Chris, Chris, oof, Greek name, and his wife. They were at Yale, and the wife sent out an email saying that we need to stop uh, policing people's costumes. It's Halloween costumes. Right, and, she got fired. Yeah, and you can have a politically incorrect co- Halloween costume. Like, yeah. we should relax. And people started freaking out. They cornered him in the in the square. Right. And were screaming. That's right. Nick, here it is. Chris... Christakis. Christakis. I don't want to fuck up. So Nicholas Christakis. So uh, he's a Greek-American sociologist and uh, physician, and he was teaching at Yale. And uh, these kids were, they confronted him, and they were screaming at him, like, this is our safe place. You fucking ruined our place. It was so bizarre and strange and hostile. And he was just trapped out there with these nonsensical kids screaming at him that, like, he's racist and this whole thing is racist and he shouldn't be able to wear whatever costume you want. Like, what, no one even specified, like, what yeah. we're talking about. It was, it he, was ethnic costumes that they're not supposed to appropriate another culture. Yeah. Even, even though, like, you know, it's, it's just for the party. I, it I, I doesn't don't know matter, man. People are just looking for a reason to be upset. It doesn't have to make any sense. But, but the whole idea of, like, this woke... Ding, 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 ding. This woke uh, thing, like my niece and my niece and nephew are going to college. You know, they're going to get ready to go to college, and I'm like, oh god, this is going to be so difficult. Yeah. You know, because they're going to come out of this machine. You know, pretty much looking at me as like, you know, pretty much I'm already not that relevant, but like, just like all of my references and stuff like that yeah. are just going to be so you know inappropriate. You right, know, right, right, and uh, and it's like when you go to college, you're supposed to go to the open your mind, not to really f- focus your opinion that you already have. So. That's what I felt was like, I, I felt like everybody's like, I don't want to play a college show. And we're all dreading like the day when we have to play a show like that where, you know, everybody there has that group think, you no, know, you have to adapt and you do adapt. I know. You, you know, don't I'm, give yourself I, enough credit. I adapt, I adapt fine. But I'm just saying like playing a college show now, you probably could do it, but I don't think I could. Of course you could. Uh, yeah, you adapt in terms of doing a set. You can yeah, definitely you hate do a yourself set, that you ride home. You won't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, what you'd you want to do is be able to do whatever you want to do, and it would make you want to do it. It's too. also it would make you're you not want to go push it. You're not offensive or mean. Yeah, you're not a bad person. So what yeah, but they s- don't take that into account. It's the words coming out of your mouth. They take them literally. Right. That's why we're in the state that we are in now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They don't see exactly. the irony or the sarcasm in it. That the sense of humor in this country has never been lower. And I can say that as like what Jeff's talking about, like when we we're little kids, like Blaze. Saddles and uh, Young Frankenstein. These movies that like everybody was watching them, enjoying them, and stuff yeah. like that. Now they have all these hidden meanings, and people look into that. And I'm like, you know, it was like just a fun time. You know, yeah. it's just like a fun experience. You know, it, it was. It wasn't like that was like the template for how to live. You well, know? I think you can bounce back, but I think what's happening now so. is you, there's a certain number of people that want to be able to change the way other people talk and what they talk about mm-hmm. because they're ultra sensitive. So they have this giant reaction to things that may or may not be relevant. And it's a debate whether or not it's relevant. Right. Some things we've changed, right? Like certain words that you used to be able to say easily just a few years ago, way harder to get away with saying now. Because the culture is shifting in a way that's becoming more sensitive. So probably that's good as long as they understand context and intent. See, context and intent that is why comedy works. doesn't mean we should works. disavow Mel Brooks because he used the N-word 50 times not. in a movie. Of course not. Of course not. It's when, a different I, time. When my Uncle Murray said, you know, I brought, when I br- brought a, a Chinese girlfriend home, 
to my pop Jack, and he's like, East is East and West is West, and never the two shall meet. We didn't kick my grandfather out of the family. We just said, Kicked him right into Congress. Listen, <laughs> that guy grew up like what we were watching. We, that guy grew up in World War II. Of course. I mean, that. This, no one could ever. There's no way we're going to understand that. Right. The the difference in the way people saw the world that had to deal with an actual world war to this soft pampered ass life we're living. I don't condone racism, but I understand why people hold grudges. Right. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, if you went over to Vietnam and lost half your fucking friends, and you came back over here and you're fucked up still because of it, like I don't condone racism, but I think that. Anytime you're forced into a situation where your country is at war with another side, it's probably really hard for people to forgive people. Right. You know, I mean, how how hard is it? That was one of the things that someone said about the Japanese and not really too thrilled with Americans. And I said, well, how how do you think you'd feel <laughs> if you were showing up 40 years after someone had literally nuked your country mm -hmm. twice, just annihilated hundreds of thousands of people with one bomb. I mean, made shadows on the concrete of where someone's body used to be. Just vaporized them. Women, children, babies, grandma, grandpa, everybody gets it. Boom. I mean, who the fuck is going to be nice after that? Yeah. It takes a long time to forget that shit. Right. Who's that baseball, the uh, Japanese baseball guy? Sadahario. Yeah, they got to negotiate that into the contract. And you got to give me a little extra for, you know, Hiroshima. Hiroshima. <laughs> and Nagasaki. Reparations. A little Fucked something else. Things, they did it twice. America doesn't give itself enough shit for having the internment camps here. I don't know if right. you've ever been on one of those. There's one up on uh, Washington State on Bainbridge Island. There's family. one on Bainbridge Island, really? Yeah. Bainbridge is beautiful. I it's can't believe beautiful they had an internment place. camp They had an there. internment camp there. And it was a, Jesus. You know. We're not all. And we got into that war late, man. We don't give ourselves enough shit for that either. Mm. Yeah. This, wasn't um, the the guy from uh, Star Trek? Yeah. Isn't, wasn't he? Yeah. What is his name? Um, uh, George Takai. George Takai. George yeah. Takai. He's he a was, survivor. He, he, yeah. he lived in a Japanese internment camp. When he was a little kid. And for, he was also, FDR was president for four terms. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> was he really? Yeah. He was president for... Four term. He died in his f a year and it was fourth term. How can you, you do sure that? about that? It was it four or three? But it definitely was more. No, he than had two. three and then he got elected. Then they the stopped. After died. that, they were like, it can only be two. Right. But I bet you they're not going to. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. If you had a great president, though, you'd right. be like, I want to keep doing his job. Bl like, Bloomberg did that. Awesome CEO of Google. He's like Google <laughs> is kicking ass now. Yeah. Got to step down, bro. Yeah. Only t eight years. Right. It's like the only gig. Where when you're really, it, it has so much power. We're like, there's no, you just can't keep running this. You got to give up the reins. Wow. Like everybody has to give up the reins. We right. never let the best person run it forever. Uh -huh. Like you would think, once Clinton got a head of steam under him, you know, just feed his carnal desires and just. <laughs> no, it's him. like quarterback. Like, you know, you're, you're only going to have a few good years, seasons. Right. But how many years do you think the public would have kept him in? Like, see, if you had a guy like uh, Barack Obama, how many years, if they just let him go, yeah. until he doesn't want to do it anymore, until we don't want him to do it anymore, how many years do you think he could keep doing it? Man, he might be able to do it for yeah. four or five terms, maybe Easily. even more. Easily. Especially if it showed that his policies were working, because, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of these policies, economic policies, they take years to, in order to see real-world benefits. Like, well, if you take the uh, actual campaigning out of it, 
you know, they're really only president for two years because it's like they're campaigning yeah. on the way in and then they're campaigning on the way out. And yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. that's for all of our government. And like, we're all like, I guess, victims of that. So it's sad. But Callan was trying to explain it the other day about the amount of time that a congressman or a senator or any politician spends raising money. Versus the amount of time that they spend actually doing their job. It's like it's not even close. And it's so humbling. They, their job is awesome. We see them on C-SPAN banging a gavel oh. and making a point and handing out a medal to a soldier. And then you go see an actual political fundraiser. Oh, and it's, it's so like, boring. It's like Cory Booker standing on a basement floor at Cantor's on a Sunday morning in front of, there's no glamour to it at all. No, like, they it have to, sucks. They have like, to it's grind. our worst gig ever. If I took you to a, if we a had to go where, where, where the three of us had to show up, where politicians have to show up to raise money, you'd be screaming at your agent going, are you fucking kidding me with this microphone and there's no, there's no lights and no one could hear me and I'm fucking talking to a wall right. and, and there's, there's no food, everyone's starving. It's like, the worst. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, so I could true. Say that. <laughs> That's so true. So we, you know, why anybody would do this freaking job of being uh, of trying to? I'm gonna try to help people. Fuck you. We're gonna expose you. We're gonna beat you yeah. up. We're gonna go into all your business. You know. Well, Trump was the only <laughs> one that did it with a built-in giant audience right from the jump. Like right from the jump, he had a giant audience. Mm-hmm. People going crazy. He to tours. See yeah. On our dime. If He's Hillary had done right now. Real Housewives instead of the Senate, she would have been president. <laughs> she probably would have. She had just. Could you imagine seeing Hillary and Bill around the house? <laughs> seeing, seeing she just got super famous for just being a lady instead of being yeah. a politician. That's true. She probably would have in, in some ways, right? She was almost like hindered by the fact that she was Bill Clinton's wife. If she was just a, a senator by herself... With a, and a lawyer right. who became a senator, she probably would have way more of a shot of winning. Same person, right? People always say, you know, what did Bill, what, what, what did Trump do for the working man? He entertained them. <laughs> like that show is great. People love that show. It's true. It's true. Even now, don't you click on the on the stories first? What? You don't go to. You know, you're not reading about the. The, the genocide in Rwanda, you're, you're reading that Trump like accidentally spelled something wrong. That's right. the f- top news story. That's our, yeah. Well, and there's, <laughs> lately there's all these new charges are being brought up that I you know, d- didn't know about and new people are getting arraigned. And it's like, it's a crazy, it's like watching a crazy That's a drama. separate show. We have very uh, short uh, attention that, span in this country yeah. and like we, we expect results, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the news cycle, the way it is now, it's like, you know, you, have you ever been in a hotel where you're like, like, for some reason you're caught in like the three or four hour news cycle where you yeah. see the same story and whatever. And then it's like one more detail and then they'll like start it up again and you're like, wow, you know, any minute I'm going to get a phone call because now I could be a panelist. I know everything you know, you know, <laughs> like we figured it out. He was wearing shoes. You know? But I, I, I you, you still watch TV news shows though. You don't yeah, fuck yeah. around online. But Dave, you knows watch those. Dave knows every I, show. Dave knows every show. I love, I love, I, I like the, um, I, I like watching the whole day like cycle. You know, like I, I just think it's, it's especially when it's something like an event that's happening and you get to see you know them figuring it out because mm. they can't wait for to know this whole story now because it has to be immediate so you get you get to see them like start it you know and it's like it's really like, it's right. like going to journalism school almost you know you're like oh, okay something bad happened here and then like they're working on their bits yeah exactly they have to introduce them like right where breaking news breaking news 
We've been told they don't know exactly what the fuck's going on. That's definitely like you know my mom. You know we have she has some memory issues and stuff like that. But like waiting till six o'clock to find out what happened in the world. You know like that's those days are over. Can it's you imagine so if we really, did that? Like that's over. a new rule. You know those days are over. Like like I remember when the um, like how did we get through the whole day? Up. You know right? How did we get through the? I remember when the Challenger blew up. What they used to do back in the day, they would interrupt. Yes. Interrupt, and that was exciting. Interrupt. Yes. Big. We have some terrible news in the world of entertainment. We have to pause the game just to. Howard, I was sitting on the bed with my dad watching Monday Night Football, and Cosell just changes mood all of a sudden. Oh, right. The music, Beatles legend, John Lennon. And I thought he said John, Jack Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John Lennon was assassinated outside his apartment. And that's like. Yeah, you remember broadcasting Howard Cosell announcing something or when the moon launch took off. There's no moment now where you're like, oh, I, remember a certain, I remember a certain broadcaster announcing a certain thing. No, no. You hear one version of it, but then you hear so many versions of it, you forget which one you heard first. Like, I remember when I saw the you don't know Twin which Towers one's true. fell. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw it the first time I saw it on television, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know who said it. I don't know who was giving the, the newscast. It didn't. Doesn't even register. Just have to. They just have to be believable. That was yeah. That right. was definitely a local news moment because I was in New York and my mom goes turn on the TV and then we could see the coverage right there. So it's like that was before the web, where where you could go like okay, I'm going to get deeper into this. It was like waiting on the next bit of information. So I was I was laying in bed in New York and I found out from uh, the great newscaster Ralphie May who was screaming into my answer machine calling me the N-word wake up because <laughs> he, he knew I was flying out of New York that day and, and he had, he had just he was in LA and he's just trying to he's like turn on a T and it was just him yelling into my answer machine it was like wow. entered my dream and I kind of heard sirens in the back of my dream because all the ambulances are running down Broadway and I turned it on just to see the second tower fall down and but ralphie he was my walter cronkite shout out to (laughs) ralphie miss that guy we lost a lot of good ones this year sean rouse yes do you know him sean was like great opener of mine he was so funny man great guy i always saw him in weird places with dave you guys were pals yeah he was really good and um you know right out of texas and uh, he was such a good guy. He was out of that Houston area, yeah. Right? Houston. He was back such in a good days, jerk rider. There was man. a lot of that old laugh stop in River Oaks. Yeah, there was a lot of great comics. Those local guys, they had quality local comics. Like you would, you would do a set there, mm-hmm. and the guys who would open for you. You'd be like, "Holy shit, you guys are funny." And. And you, you remember, like, the whole myth of the Texas outlaws? Like, I, I, I used to eat that up. I was like, tell me another story. I want to hear another story. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hicks and Kinnison, really. And, and then Carl was, LeBeau and... And uh, Jimmy P- Pineapple. Jimmy Pineapple. Right? I worked with Jimmy Pineapple. First time I ever did that <laughs> club there. Great guy. Funny dude, too. Yeah, those guys, like, you know... Did you ever see in, Jimmy? Jeff Ross? I, I never saw Jimmy Pineapple. I don't think I even heard of him until this Funny morning. dude. He was one of the outlaws, the early outlaws with Schubert. When Schubert used to go on the road with him, too. You know, Marin. Marin was one of the guys that was with him in town. I didn't know that. How Marin. did you become one of the Texas comedy outlaws? How did like, you become was one? The, it was like a group of like the, these wild comics down in... Uh, there he is. There he is. Jimmy Pineapple. Good-looking guy. Glorious mustache. He bring his own microphone. Funny dude, though. I don't want to put any new stuff out there. I gotta, I gotta watch that. Good guy though, too. I worked yeah. with him. It was really nice. James that was, Pineapple. That was when uh, I right when first we were, worked that club. 
I love that club. That yeah, was, was a great. That room. was one of the greatest rooms of all time, man. I did my uh, Warner Brothers CD there in 1999. Wow. Yeah, that fucking club was so hot. It was packed, tight ceiling, wild motherfuckers, Texas people. Wild Texas people. I love yeah. Texas Woo! comedy shows. Just chaos, drinking, good times, fun, nice people that are smart, but that also like to get fucked up. Absolutely. Are you in Texas this weekend? Oh, I, I don't know where I am yet. You don't know where you I'm, are? I'm waiting to hear on my schedule. Because uh, <laughs> you have a phone. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Open. It's buffering. But uh, I actually took Dave to a phone store. Yeah. You know, we were preparing for the tapings, and he never texted me back. And I'm like, we're walking by this and I'm like, just come in and look. And he literally looks at the iPhone like it's the enemy of the people. I have multiple it. phones. You held it with disdain. He I held, have an iPhone also. I go. The guy goes, you could do anything on this. You could text. You could make a point. You could do anything. You could You're write jokes. You could record your shows. And Dave goes, should we really play God? <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of good lines. But uh, I, I, I don't go past an iPhone 2. I, I feel like, you know, that's pushing it. Because now it's like up to 10, right? You have an iPhone 2? Like, yeah. How many are, like, how many iPhones compared <laughs> Jamie, to... Jamie burst. How many iPhones compared to how many Rocky friend. movies are there? <laughs> <laughs> how many Rocky movies are there now? Because Dave is on the Mr. Creed's Rockies? Because now we have those Creed's. The second think, Creed is act now. I guess it is because it's working off of the actual uh, narrative of Rocky. Do, do you hear Michael B. Jordan is talking about boxing Roy Jones Jr.? Yeah, I thought that oh, was a cool. joke. Oh, God, I hope it's a joke. Just straight up boxing, not yeah. like a Muay Thai? Listen, don't do that, Michael. Just don't do that. I'm, I'm sure he's a great athlete. He's a beautiful kid. He's got a great body. Looks like he knows how to box. When he throws punches, it looks like he really actually knows how to box. I'm sure he's a really good athlete. He's built like a brick shithouse. Right. But boxing Roy Jones Jr. is a preposterous yeah. don't know how to get hit. What's the upside? Uh, you uh, never work again or you become a boxer? You, you hang in there with him and you look like a hero. I mean, you, you clip them and hurt them. I mean, it is it is a humanly possible thing. Right. Like when two people are throwing punches at each other, that one of them can hit the other guy. But the downside, is, the downside is just ruined. Roy Jones Jr. is one of the greatest boxers of all time. Mm -hmm. And still, to this day, knows how to box. It's not like he forgot. How he old just, is he? He's pushing 50. 49. Yeah, he's pushing 50. Do you think, do you think somebody, someone challenged him? Whose idea was it? I think he was just talking shit. He was just probably being asked, like, who would you like to box? Who's yeah. your hero? How many rounds, though? Exactly. Did that have to go read. a certain oh, amount? Go. Yeah, what did, so it, what it exactly happened? Like he said he would, he asked him, who, who would you want to fight today? And he said, Roy Jones, he would probably beat me in his prime, but I'd probably fight him today. It's probably just like oh, that. Oh, that so. is an outrageous thing to say. Just an asshole thing to say. It's just, it says George Foreman. Listen, it, it, he probably would kill you in his prime. I mean, the idea that he would just beat you. I mean, Roy Jones Jr., when he was in his prime, you were just waiting to see. He was in a, a Nas song. They said Roy Jones is in the new Mike Tyson's Roy Jones. It's in. This is like in, in the 1990s. People forgot how good Roy Jones Jr. was. He was putting his hands behind his back and then knocking people out. He was doing ridiculous shit. He knocked out light heavyweight champion Virgil Hill with a body shot. Do you want to hear it so he, 
so we can hear the context. Okay. Because it's only. <laughs> sure, let's listen to it. Let's so l- I heard that you, after all your training for the Creed movies, yeah. you can hold your own in a fight. I mean, I can do my thing a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So I've been working out with Rocky, I've been working out with like you know what I'm saying like Apollo Creed. I'm gonna do my thing. Absolutely. So now, who all time would you want to step into the ring with? Whether it's a boxer, wrestler, UFC Man. fighter, anybody? Like Roy Jones, bro. Roy Jones. Roy Jones. That's my dude, bro. You think you can hold your own? I feel like I do my thing a little bit. Yeah. I hold my thing right now. In his prime, nah, he probably knock my ass out. But like right now, I can do my thing. Why answer Ooh, that question? That's a yeah, cool, well. Listen, he was. Uh, hey Joe, were you funnier than George Carlin in his prime? Can you well, just answer right that now, in the middle right of the right street now, right I now? Can do my thing <laughs> right now, since he did. I know you've had a few drinks in the restaurant. <laughs> I ask you the coke. worst question. Let me tell you something right now. I'm on coke, cocaine. <laughs> Let me answer some questions. I'll fuck Roy Jones Jr. up. <laughs> That, but but he, he said he was training with Rocky. That was the best part. And Apollo Creed. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know their names. <laughs> he doesn't know. The old dude. The old dude. The black guy the black guy. I, I mean, I loved him coach. in uh, Black Panther, too. He's awesome. He plays a good superhero. He's a great bad guy. guy. I love his movies. He was a good bad guy in that movie. But, you know, like, it's like, you just shouldn't answer that. Just made a mistake. Yeah. You know, young, cocky, full of life. Looking Everything's for going well. You know, and again... Built like a goddamn superhero. Probably yeah. thinks he could box the world. This is a different thing that's going to be happening if you're standing in front of Roy Jones Jr. It's a different thing. He's, he's got a computer that's many, many times you bring Roy jo- <laughs> more robust than yours when it comes to boxing. But just taking the punishment, it's not like, you know, it's like, okay, that's oh. enough. It's what if Roy is, Jones Jr. just gives you a concussion and you never act oh again? God. What's the upside for you? He can tee up on By him. the way, a 50-year-old boxer looks at this actor, pretty boy, and it's oh like uh, when they brought... Yeah. When they brought um, What's his name? Out of the box in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I mean he's Jack though. Look at him. Dude's built like a seriously built like a superhero. Wow. But see, the thing is, like, there's such a giant difference between learning how to box and being a good athlete, like he clearly is, and being Roy Jones Jr. the 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 gap is so wide. It's so it's like if I did a, a movie about p- playing basketball. And then I wanted to, you know, play a one-on-one versus Kobe Bryant. You know, I've been playing this movie for a couple of years, man. I'm feeling <laughs> uh-huh. good. I'm feeling good, even though I never did any competitive basketball playing. Like you were in the white shadow. That or looks something. like he got beat up. It's <laughs> like he's, he's a movie. <laughs> he's a movie star, bro. He's got fake blood on his well, that, welts. That, that was in the movie. I'm sure he knows how to throw his hands. I'm sure he does. He looks good in the movies. He looks like he really knows what he's doing. But Roy Jones Jr. is one of the greatest of all time. He was a phenom. He knows how to box in a way that you're never going to understand. So how long has he been since he boxed? Ten years? I mean, Roy Jones had a fight within the last two years. Well, I think his last fight was, I want to say it was two, less than two years ago. I think he retired. He had a bunch of fights over in Russia. He actually became a Russian citizen. This year? Is that it? This year. This year. Jesus February. Christ. Play some of it. Oops. Play, so he's play, not just challenging so can, a retired boxer. Dude, he's challenging he's, a boxer. He's fucking Roy Jones Jr., all right? Just, just This is a different thing. It's one thing if you're like a top-level pro right now wow. and you feel like you would have got knocked out by Roy in his prime, but you can give him a go right now. Okay, that I, that is that's believable. You're a professional boxer. You've been honing your craft in the gym for years and years. You've been sparring and working with high-level coaches. Look at him. He's still Roy Jones Jr., Still Roy Jones Jr. Even though he's forty, I mean, he's still on, boxing. Man. It doesn't matter. He's, I mean, he's boxing. And one's an actor. Good. One's a boxer. But Roy Jones is in a boxing match here, and he's looking good. 
Right. I mean, he's obviously not fighting a guy who's the best in the world. So if you're Roy Jones Jr., do you call your, your agent right now? And yeah, go, he's already been it saying it. See he's if the kid's serious. What's yeah. the money? I'll do it. He's already been doing all these interviews. Yeah. He said, like, I don't want to get out, out of bed early in the morning, but if, if, you know, if he wants to really do this, we could do this. I mean, for Roy really Jones, cool. it would be a, a wonderful opportunity to show people what boxing is all. Oh, let me see what he said. I would love to see that. <laughs> Here, let's hear what Roy says. Of course I saw the video. First thing is, you know, I never ducked a fight in my life. I don't duck nothing, right? Never. Nothing. I ain't running from hurricane when they come down here. So I ain't running from nobody. If Michael B. wants this for real, contact Roy Jones Jr. and we will make it happen. Yeah, see? You got my number, he can contact you and get my number. So there's no question about how can I find <laughs> No, you know how to find Roy. <laughs> I've already been apologizing. Get Roy's number from TMC, let's make it happen. Right now, he said in the video, he said, I think he would probably have killed me back in his prime. That's true. <laughs> How about now, though? Do you actually give him any chance to beat you now, even though you are 49, Roy? I don't. I know he can't beat me still because, I mean, I know he's probably in better condition because he's younger, and though he can go, probably think he can go longer, and probably thinks he may be able to even out work now. But I'm a vet. I'm an old school. That's vet. right. <laughs> old school vet ain't going out like that. To have the heart <laughs> to come in the ring with me, I love it. You understand me? So. I, I don't understand what boxing is. So I'm not out there to just take him out right away because then you don't get the experience of the boxing. Uh, I'm a professional like I am, and I know he's big and strong because he got stronger for the movie. Then I should be able to board all that, take him in the deep water so he understands what a boxing match really uh, is. So yeah, he's exactly. he comes out, he don't want to go out and say, oh, I got knocked out the first round. He so wouldn't I don't give know. his whole No, 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 no. I'm I not need you off that easy. I'm going to need five, six rounds at you. So I want you to see how it really feels. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm talking like that. Not because... I think he can really match my skills. I really don't, even at 49. How long would you need, Roy, to get right to where you could step in there? Like, what's the soonest we could make this fight happen? Uh, I probably need, for him, about four or five weeks. Dude, it's on. <laughs> it's on. Michael, please listen to me. Don't do this. Someone call StubHub. Just don't do this. <laughs> this, this is not going to work but, out well, especially if they're, I would assume both of them are not going to be drug tested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, guess. I don't think either one of them wants to pee in a bucket. And uh, if they if they just let Roy, if they let Roy go to Doctor Feelgood and, yeah. and pump him up with hormones, this is going to be a route. This would be terrifying. Imagine this is Michael a new getting that call from his agent. Hey, uh, we have an offer for you to do this like new superhero movie. It's going to be amazing. And Michael's like, Ah, I'm, I'm booked that whole five mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah, I got it Wait, for what? five weeks. I got to train for Roy Jones Jr. Like, don't. Do it. This but this is, is a new this ego. is a new genre of TV show of the real guy versus the guy who played it in the movie. <laughs> well, I want to see doctors against guys who played a doctor. I want to see astronauts against guys who think they're an astronaut. I want to see it all. Versus John yeah. Navy SEAL from a movie versus yeah. real Navy Dinosaur SEAL. Dinosaur versus chicken. I want to see it. Isn't that what Mark Wahlberg said if he was on the plane? Would yeah. Down? Oh. Spy versus... Did he, did he really say that, though? Yeah. That's what everybody says. Oh, he said. I, don't know. I never heard him say that. It's did a funny, funny thing to said? think. It's a crazy thing to think. You know, you, who knows what the fuck you would do if you thought that you were just going to land somewhere. You know, that's the idea is that you knew what was going to happen before it happened. Nobody knows. Well, while that shit's going down, someone's got box cutters. They're holding a waitress. They're holding a stewardess by the neck. Like, yeah, I, you don't know what the fuck's happening. You have no idea what's going You're on. You're afraid to move. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people would step up. But, you, you know, it could potentially cost that person their life. And then when the plane lands, 
that person's dead when they may be if you don't know right you don't know the actual scenario now obviously we know it was a horrible thing and you should do whatever you can to stop them because they're going to kill everybody no matter what but back then you didn't know i mean if someone just took the plane and landed it yeah and the stewardess you lived, didn't know that's right you would be like glad i didn't do anything mm. he jumped up and he cut her face off yeah you know it's like in in those moments when you don't know what's going to happen said so if i was on that plane okay if with my kids it wouldn't have went down like it did. There would have been a lot of blood in that first class cab and then me saying, okay, we're going to land somewhere safely. Don't worry. Hmm. Oh. That, see, I, I'm, I see where he's coming from, right? He's got, a, he's got kids that he loves. He's got a family that he loves. He wouldn't have sat still. That's what he's saying. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And in his mind, he probably has that conviction. Even if it meant yeah, the thing ruining is, everybody's life. Would you, you know, would it work? If it didn't work, like, what do they have? Do you know what they have? You know, they, they don't have, know. You know they have a box cutter. Do they have anything else? How many of them are there? You don't know. Like, Yeah. Is anybody going to back you up? Does anybody else know how to fight? You know, you could get fucked up. You could, you could step up thinking you're Billy Badass, and this guy is mm-hmm. some trained they martial trained. artist yeah, who trained. smashes your face in and, and cuts you up with a box cutter. That could happen, too. And still pulls his belt off yeah. and blows the plane up. It could. Who the fuck knows, man? That's why there's professionals, right? That's where there's professional, those air marshals that can assess the situation and figure out. And obviously, you know, they weren't, uh, either they weren't there on that plane or they couldn't help. I got chills thinking about if I was in that position. I, you know. How could you, I mean, who the fuck knows what you would do? Well, since I look like I'm on the other team, I would have said, (laughs) my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine fucking it up. My friend, my friend, my friend. Like, Come on, get up and do your... I'm like, I'm not part of the team. Dave, do your foreign guy thing. <laughs> Fuck, man. Yeah, you'd be... You know, have you ever been so scared that you're frozen instant for a second? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you, you can't know what the right thing to do is. And the wrong thing can be so catastrophic, right? <clears throat> you don't Absolutely. know. You don't plus, know do plus he went as do. far as to say, like, that he's making announcements on the plane. Yeah. Like, when this is all happening, like, we're landing safe. Like, he's now the pilot. In the movies, he gets <laughs> right, to be I mean, a hero, right? That's true, In yeah. the movie, you get to grab the intercom at the end yeah. and go, thanks for flying so-and-so air. Sometimes you say things like that because that's how you feel. And you don't think about how other people are going to perceive it. That's what I would assume that statement is. Like, that's how he felt. Like, fuck that. I'm landing this fucking plane. I'm going to kill these fucking terrorists. Yeah. Right. That's what he told his kids right. one night. The problem is you're saying that to billions of people. And billions of people hear that and they go, what? And then all these people get to assess your, your statement, whether or not it has any, makes any sense. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to kick everybody's ass? Right. Okay. You Sure. <laughs> I know a lot of dudes who, if they were there and you tried to do that, you'd get smashed. Right. Like, there's scary people in this world. There's Holding weapons on a plane. I, I, would, I would assume if you're ready to die like that, you have a very strange kind of conviction, too. If you know you're ready to die and you know how to fight, like, oof. Jesus. I don't I mean, who knows? But it's like, just the idea that you would have to think about it. That's what's really terrifying. What do you mean? The idea that you would have to think, like, what do I do if something is, if someone does hijack a plane? Don't we all think that? Yeah. Every every yeah. situation now, there's that. What we do do? What yeah, happens? What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? I mean, so you hear it's, people run and they survive, and then people run and get shot down, and they go the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Any time a tragedy like that happens, you're like, what the fuck? 
horrific random set of sequences and you're in the wrong spot you and you so do the right heroic how about how many people must do the heroic thing and then you, they yeah. die anyway and you never know about it oh for sure i wonder what uncle steve did in that situation yeah yeah oh yeah that's a lot of it seems like those fucking things are happening more and more lately all I mean, the I don't time know if it's it, is is the rate more accelerated now than it's ever been before, as well as the numbers of these like shootings and shit? It's like what is happening? Like what the fuck is going on that this keeps happening? And if they happen like every couple of days. There's like a little one, like a two or three people one, right? Just like not that big a deal anymore. Well, that's what it was when it was about knives and swords. People would go on a killing spree. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's you kill more people. And, you, you know, not everybody would die with a knife. London has a bunch of knife attacks. London has so many knife attacks that their, uh, their, their murder rate exceeded New York City's murder rate with just knives. Wow. Oh, Google that. Make sure that's true. The, the machete the, attack. Um, the fucking president or the, the mayor of uh, the president, the mayor of London, was saying something that they won't tolerate knives anymore. Can't have knives. Sounds sounds better. I know, but everybody's like, "What?" In New York, you know, knives. You have a guy who's uh, off his meds, and he's just like walking around with a hammer. You know, so it could happen. It doesn't really matter what the weapon is. Okay, London has overtaken New York for murders for the first time in modern history after a surge of knife crimes across the capital. Verdict, though, uh, selective use of statistics from the start of 2018 appeared to bear this out, but the reality is that New York still appears to be more violent than London. Yes. Huh. Oh, <laughs> that was written by <laughs> a New did Yorker. It. <laughs> that was written by a New Yorker. New York <laughs> is so proud. back right now, man. New York's on fire. It's great. You love it? It's great. I haven't been there as much late in the last few weeks, but when I'm there, all summer I was there. You're it's, a bi-coastal guy, though. You're a freedom guy. Yeah. I, I love the way you're living your life. You just fly here. You fly there. Have you been to his houses? Or have you no, been to but them? I've, I've seen photos of the, the pool. The L.A. one is awesome. The New York one is like, um, I don't know. Dump? <laughs> he, you, know, you can tell like he doesn't live there. You know? Oh, I see. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a crash pad, but it's a... It's a it's a nice place. I'm not yeah. saying it isn't a place. But it's an old school New York building with the elevator with the the guy has to use you know, the elevator it's an old, operator. I live in an guy. Old fancy yeah. snobby Fifth Avenue co op. Nice. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Ross. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's They're not snobby. They're you. not snobby, but like, you know, I had to go through a co op interview. Buddy Hackett wrote my recommendation. That's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious new york it's all rules so many permits i'm you know oh god la so is work. tricky there's shootings there's fires that's why that caravan turned back <laughs> is that one <laughs> did you see the photos of uh people like running towards the border and uh, gas coming at them and the, 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 the whole idea yeah, of uh, like knowing that there's a big group of people headed towards the border I'm like what is this like what's going on here what is, what's, what's people are fleeing. Yeah. They're terrified. Imagine what they are leaving to come to that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, Imagine what's at home. But it's like, who's playing Honduras? It's crazy that it's all like this <laughs> planned out event. Like everybody's watching the, right. the migration slowly towards the border. Has this ever happened like, before? Yeah, there was something that someone posted about Obama in 2013. The, the Ob during the Obama administration it wasn't like Obama was hucking tear gas over the fence <laughs> <laughs> but somebody during that administration uh, appeared to have used uh, tear, gra tear gas on an illegal immigrant as well but it, it wasn't I don't think it was this kind of thing this, this kind of thing seems 
Like it's like a, the Cuban boat lift. Like that's what weird. I felt like about it. It's like they're fleeing, you know, like right. a despot mm-hmm. or you know, yeah. It's political and economic. It's everything. I mean, we they want to come to the promised land like all of our ancestors did. That's why we're here. But then we got to a point where like, nah. I don't think it's just about full. just about they want to come here. It's about what's at home that they got to get away from. Yes, yes. And, and now the, with the internet and information, they go, wow. Maybe we don't have to be in this gang. Sure. Maybe I can get my kid out when he's three instead of watching mm-hmm. him die at 15. Yeah, and have opportunity. I mean, that's what everybody wanted that came here in the first place. It's just at this point, if you're a poor person from Guatemala, I mean, how hard is it to immigrate to America? If you don't have any skills, you have a, a, a very short education, it's got to be really fucking hard to become a, a U.S. citizen. Probably super difficult. Well, You've got to be super brave. I would go you got to learn another language to really yeah. figure out how to get through all the other countries and into America. You don't have to learn it, but it certainly helps if you want to thrive. I would go yeah. to Costa Rica. Have you been down there? Love no. it. Yeah, like everybody I know who's been there, they're like, this is the place. Like, I, I'm going to move here after I retire. So, you know, that might be like a good second place. You know, A guy offered me weed, girls, and coke in front of my daughter while I was holding her hand. I was like, damn. And surf yeah. lessons. It's like, damn, everybody there is a professional surfer. On the beach, man. The guy's like, what you want, girls? You want coke? You want? I'm like, yo, bro, I'm holding a five-year-old's hand. This is outrageous. She's like, Coke, Back to school. It all sounds Back great. to school <laughs> discount. Yeah, I'm like, what? Dude is offering me cocaine, like, right there. What you need? Jeez. Monkeys are everywhere, man. Really? Everywhere you go, monkeys. It's fucking, they, they eat Oreos. They open them up and chew the white part first. <laughs> yeah, they eat so many Oreos wow. that they know how to pop them open. They chew that white shit. Wow, like a yeah. shell. Yeah, we were concerned. We were like, should we really give the monkey a cookie? I mean, cookies are toxic. It's all sugar. We gave the monkey. The monkey took that thing, popped the top, <laughs> Chewing that white stuff, I was like, damn, that monkey wow. probably lives on a steady diet of Oreos. Wow. <laughs> because the Oreos are in the mini bar at the hotel, and the monkey's right there. And you're like, yeah, but I'm an Oreo, man. I want to see him They happy. have no fear of people. No, just no, no they no. have a little bit of fear. There's no. a little bit of apprehension. They're, there's, uh, they're, they, they definitely size you up, because mm-hmm. I'm sure they run into dickhead humans. You sure. know? And they're fucking dangerous, man. I mean, if they decide to fuck you up, they, they can hurt you. They can claw your face apart. They can sure. bite you. Yeah. They can really do damage. If they're just, especially if they decided to act as a group, but they wow. they just seem to be interested. I had a monkey swing food. at me once on a TV set, and I'll never ah. forget it. I'll never go near another one. Swing at your face? Yeah, just I don't know. Oof. I was holding its hand. <laughs> we were entering like we were entering. I was hosting a gong show pilot a million years ago. And uh, I was entering with a fucking chimp holding his hand. We were in matching, oh, chimp. matching tuxedos. And I got along with him all day, rehearsals. And then whatever, when that band kicked in and the lights were in the rolling and the audience was he cheering. He choked. Yeah, he really, I don't know if he, he was choked. asking for more money or what the fuck was going on. <laughs> and, oh, that makes sense, man. It probably hurt his ears. Probably was so confused. All the people there doesn't speak your language. I doesn't know what the fuck you're saying, right? Right. Wow. I have a good monkey story. Nobody has any good ones. I I do. Like, where oh. I, I was on another TV show, and the, there was, they had the monkey. Yeah. And they go, hey, like, whatever, <laughs> Clarabelle, whatever your name is. They're like, this is Dave. Shake hands. And the monkey uh, didn't even stop hugging the person. Just let the foot come up, and I shook their foot because their Whoa. feet are like hands. And I was like, how cool is that? I, is I couldn't cool. get over it. I was like, if you could shake hands with with your feet. Like, wouldn't you do it all the time? It's like, oh, hey, what's up? Okay, so I can keep doing my other stuff. Yeah, like, not a bump. 
Yeah. And I was like, that's really cool. I just shook feet hands. They're versatile. Yeah. All right. Maybe it's not that great a story, but I still think that's a good monkey story. That's a win for both. I like communication. But then, you know, parrots, of course. We can talk about it all night. People who keep parrots as pets and then they die because parrots live to be like 90 yes, years old. Yes, they do. So you get some old lady's parrot that's still got 60 years left in it. Yeah. Like, and they're Whoa. racist. Who wants them? <laughs> full fucking tank. That parrot's got a full tank. And you're going to take that thing. And in. now he's got a. <laughs> he's screaming, take your pills. Scream. Take they your scream pills. at you. <laughs> They just always want attention. They're weird. Really? Man. Yeah, they want to sit right on your shoulder or in your hand. They want you to open up the cage and talk to them. They want to be around you all the time. Parrots are smart, man. They do not like to get just left alone. If you think you're going to be some asshole as a cute bird sitting in the cage in the middle of your living room, oh, that's my parrot. I'm interesting. No, that parrot needs you. Hey, hey. Get over here, bitch. Oh, that's right. They want attention. Like, come on, motherfucker. I don't want to just sit in this cage. Let me out. Let me out. Let's walk around. I'm just sitting on your shoulder. Put on a nose. <laughs> Come on. Let's see what's on TV. Come on. I'm fucking bored. This, parrots are smart, man. The reason why they be, they, I mean, they're not smart. I didn't like know person, they live that long. They live a long yeah, ass the, time. A long ass time. Yeah. Are they smarter or dumber than owls? That's a good question. <laughs> Dave has theories I, on this. I'm owls. always in, in search of the next owl joke. <laughs> That's my big thing. Well, we know that ravens are really smart. They're super smart. They, they solve puzzles and shit. Like scientists have set up all these puzzles Gross. for ravens where they'll, they'll yeah, they'll take a, a stick and then use the stick to get a longer stick and then use that stick to get the, the, wow. the get the food out. Huh. Like multi-step, like problem solving. Ravens can do weird shit. But, uh, and we know that, you know, a, bu- a bunch of other different birds are pretty fucking smart. But I don't know. My hawks, my hawks, uh, I have hawks in my neighborhood. They're smart. Who fly right over my house all the time and. They're they're fascinating to watch. They they really like to show off. Yeah, I would assume that all those predators have to be smart. I mean, they just ha- they have to be ruthless and smart, you know, to, to get along. If you're out there picking up squirrels and rats and shit like they're doing, they're just yeah. firebombing out of the sky, yeah. snatching things up from angles that only they understand. My friend Tom was in his backyard sitting down, having a cup of coffee, and he saw a dove land on top of his fence, yeah. and then out of nowhere, this hawk just jacked that dove. Wow. Boom! He said it was like a big explosion of feathers that the hawk just swooped in, going like 150 miles an hour, <laughs> wow. snatched the dove right off it, and took off Full with tilt. it. And he was just sitting there with his coffee in his hand, like, "What the fuck?" Wow! He goes like 10 yards from my head. It if just I all was went that down. dove, I would have kicked that <laughs> fucking bird's fucking ass. He would have landed safely. <laughs> I would have landed safely back on your buddy's fence. I told everybody, <laughs> <laughs> "Fuck hawks." If I was a dove with kids, <laughs> what do his kids have to do with being on the plane? Well, that would make him motivated. He's a he's a, a you know protector. I see. Yeah, well, um, I'll give him that. He probably does how to fight a little bit too. It looks like he does. Yeah, he it does. Looks like he does in that movie play Mickey Ward. It looks yeah. like he knows how to box. He definitely knows how to throw punches. You know. This Michael B. Jordan thing is fascinating to me because he'll listen. Put money on it. I hope he does. Someone will tell him. I'm look. I'm, I'm sure he's a smart guy, and I'm sure he's a great athlete. And I'm sure he probably knows how to box a little bit. But you, if you kind of box a guy like Roy Jones, you know what you do? You start in the amateurs and you learn how to box. That'd be cool. And then you become a professional. That'd be cool. And then one day you box Roy Jones, like Jr. Paul Newman in the race cars. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not going. You're not getting hit. 
See, the, the, the very unique thing about combat sports is you're getting hit. Yeah. So it's not like someone's dunking on you. Like, if you play basketball with Kobe Bryant, you're going to get lit up. You're going to look like a fool. But you're not going to get hit. If you box with Roy Jones Jr., you're going to get hit. You're going right? to get hit. You're going to get dinged. Michael yeah. B. Jordan got knocked out during the Creed filming by with an accidental punch that landed. Where they really? Were, yeah, where they were hitting him, and he tried to, like, turn his head at the last minute, but he didn't turn it quick enough, and he got clipped. And dropped. Maybe that's wow. why he knows he can take a punch now. Well, I mean, maybe that's he, giving him the confidence. He did it on purpose. He was like, I think it just, I think you know, the way it was is like you take the punch, then you turn your head, but it looked like he took the punch just a little too hard. That's but, real, right? But do you think, think they're even real, using really think, real think, gloves there? They're not using regular. No, they were using boxing gloves. Oh, like okay. Real this ten ounce boxing gloves. Could it be bullshit? I love those Korean movies and they Rocky's done, my all time. See, you see something like this, you don't know if it's like some uh, hyped up stunt? thing they do for a publicity stunt. Like, watch this though. See, they're, they're practicing it like this. See right there? No, see that's real, dude. Yeah, that's real. See the way his head snaps and his eyes go. Play that again. That's real. I know what a real knockout looks like. I've seen a thousand of them in person. That's a real knockout. Watch this. Look at this. He right. fucked up, and he zigged. But he's, he's out. Yeah, you he's out that? cold, dude. He's out cold, 100%. Watch this. He ran right into the punch. His head snapped back. His eyes rolled behind his head, and he went <gasps> unconscious. Yeah, that is 100% a legit knockout. But that, that punch was not even a punch, what, what, what he was hit with. He, he didn't have his mistake. body behind it. He didn't have any uh, power behind it. So he was basically knocked out by just a, by coincidence. Almost. No, you know no. There's definitely power behind it. You think like, so? Yes, doing yes, yes. This? Yeah. That, listen, you could KO someone easily just doing that. Easily. Really? That was a perfect punch. It was a perfect punch that landed on his jaw as he was moving forward that's the key the key is that he was turning his head into it and he didn't think it was coming mm -hmm. and he took it right on the jaw if you wa play, Let's watch play it again because i didn't see this any guy head any, what he's doing is he's they're they're choreographing how the sequence is going to go and somewhere along the line either is a miscalculation or a mistake was made so this by is a michael b tape. jordan this watch is... this watch this right here See that he fucked up and he, he turned, turned into, into it. it. Yeah. And that guy is throwing like I mean, even though it's not yeah, the most powerful punch in the world. It's faster than I thought. And he knows how to punch. Okay, so his weight is behind that, his shoulders behind that. That's a guy who's punched people in the face before. Right. He knows exactly how to do it. So even though he's only mistaken. doing it like this, even though he's only doing that, so if how you that run into it and he catches you right in the chin, you're going out. Of course. And that's what happens. So why why did that get leaked? Jeez. I don't know if it got leaked or if they put it out on purpose. I think they put it out to show that. I think they probably probably put it out to show like mm -hmm. this is hard training they're doing for this, and you know there was an accident wow. on the set and he got knocked out. That would be not the one clip I'd want out there if I was him. But yeah. if he turns into obviously it like that's that, then. very. And that was he was younger then. He's bigger and stronger now. He's older. His body's more mature. But either way. Oh, I see. So like that he, was an old. If you want to box yeah. Roy Jones, that's Jr., from the first one. You got to become a career <laughs> boxer. I mean, this is unless he's like so old why, that he it, can't take Roy a punch anymore. Roy knows he's not going to do it, or he would never have given up his strategy like that. Saying mm -hmm. I need him five, six rounds. No, no, he no, said, no, 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 no. He said that's just shit talking. He's saying he's Roy gonna, Jones did that his whole career. He would tell you exactly how <laughs> he was going to beat guys. His whole career, <laughs> really? Yeah, he's still Roy Jones Jr. This is crazy talk. Like him saying he that, he should have just like, played dumb and be like, no, I no, guess no, 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 no. maybe he's good. I'll do it. That's not what he would do. He would say, "This is how I'm going to do it," and then he would go out and do it. See, I'm, I'm going to need you to get tired out and see what it feels like to be in a real fight. Yeah, take a beating. Yeah, man. Look, if Psych Roy Jones out. Jr. just gets you into the third, fourth, and fifth round, and you're all your adrenaline dump, dump is gone. 
because you're not used to boxing a world-class boxer in a professional match that's on pay-per-view that millions of people are watching. You're not used to that experience. So that experience is taxing. It's nerve-wracking. You're going to have all this adrenaline rush through your body. Even if you're the, the, the chillest of chill dudes, sure. you're going to be just a little bit too amped up. Right. So then around that second round comes in, you start heaving, and you can't breathe that good, and you're just kind of like, Roy's just kind of boxing you. He's just boxing you. He's not hurting you. He's just boxing you. Occasionally, you get stung a little bit. Then the third round moves in, and he starts moving left and right and coming in, stinging you hard, the jab, stepping in with a, a lead hand uppercut, and you're like, oh, fuck. And yeah, now you're getting teed off on, and now he's talking, he's dancing, he's moving around, and then he just starts throwing bombs on you, and you can't defend him because you're exhausted, and he hooks you to the liver and drops you. He starts running you, around trying to get away from you. He him. can't get away. He's too good. He's been doing it for too long. But you Jones know, said that he says... Yeah, he probably can go long and hard on me because he's all trained up. But do you think he would come at him like full tilt in the first round or two and just like really like take him to school, you know, like beat beat him down? That's so dangerous because when you get real aggressive is when you get hit. Because when you get real aggressive, see, if I know you're coming at me, you're running at me, you're running at me. All I have to do is figure out how much time and space I need to get something off as you're coming at me because I know where you're going. It's dangerous when you don't know if someone's coming or going. When someone's not, when you don't know if they're coming or going, that's when a fight is weird. So the beginning of every fight, people are feeling each other out. They don't right. know if someone's coming or going. If I know that you're just running at me, and I'm Roy Jones Jr., I'm going to step back, and I'm going to time it, and I'm going to crack you. And I'm going to crack you in a way that you probably don't see coming. Mm-hmm. You probably don't see it in the gym too much. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stiff arm you with a jab, pop you in place, step to the left, boom! He's going to drop a right hand him. on your chin. He's going to fuck you up. And then he's going to turn around. He's going to be behind you. And he's going to look at you to see if you're still okay. And then he's going to do it again. And he's going to keep doing it. And if you keep chasing after him, you're going to still get fucked. You're going to get fucked up. You're right. going to get your face punched in. Mm. So the only other thing is to do is, like, you got to box him. So, okay, now you're boxing one of the greatest boxers of all time. And you just and he's going to just figure you out. Like, what do you got? What do you do when I do this? What happens when I do this? What happens here? Uh, could I have punched you? Oh, I could have. And then he's going to figure out when to move and when you're going to get tired. And he's going to start dropping bombs on you. It's going to be awful. Would you have yeah. respected it if he said, oh, you know, I want to box a few matches first and then get to right? <sighs> I think he's just talking shit. He's just having a good time. Yeah, he probably didn't expect anybody to run with it. He didn't expect people to analyze it. That's the guy who hit know? him in that video. This guy. He's an actual Blake real Griffin? boxer. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, he knocked out David Hay before. His name's Tony Bellew. Oh, dude. That, that's, that guy is a legit boxer. He just got stopped by that badass Russian motherfucker on, uh, well, look what he's on doing TV it. really recently. Like his guy, that's, He's a top flight boxer. So for him to knock him out, of course. It was just... Yeah. He's so good, man. So for him to do it accidentally makes complete total sense. Wow, look at the... Jeez, wow. Yeah, that guy's a beast, man. That's... Like a legit top-flight boxer. So he's in there even just accidentally getting punched in the face by a guy Makes me want to see the movie, I'll tell you that. Michael Jordan talking shit makes me want to see it. took him to recover and get back to training and, and, and... and filming after that. It's like you never, in the heavyweight class, you never saw abs until the movies. You never, it was always like. I know, right? You know, they were like, they were like basically punching bags, you know? Now now it's like they have to be so. Tyson, you saw abs when he came out of prison. Remember that? I guess so. When he fought Peter McNeely, dude, he was prison jacked. That was like maybe the scariest Tyson ever. (laughs) Like they finally released him and all he'd been doing in jail. was working out. I don't think he could box in jail. So I think he was just lifting weights. 
Remember he was super duper jacked when he got out of jail? Let's see. Can I see a picture? He was, yeah. See, go to Tyson oh, versus Pete. Yeah, that's Tyson versus yeah, that, Peter McNeely. That was in 1995. Yeah, he looks good there. Yeah, Dude, he looks really terrifying. Good. That was the most terrifying looking Tyson ever. He just looked like he was made out of steel. Just a tank wow, of a man. Arms, man. And I'll never forget the fucking weigh-in, or uh, the uh, stare-down, rather. Because during the stare-down, Peter McNeely signed up for that fight, knowing that he's a tough guy who's going to take a fucking vicious beating. That's what he signed up for. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to give it his all, but he knew, in, if you had to bet, most people were not betting on Peter McNeely. Yeah. But you could see it in Tyson's face when he's staring him down. There's this crazy... He's following him everywhere he goes, like a predator, <laughs> right. dude. It's like a predator who can't wait to get the green light to let the he's genie terrifying. out of the bottle. Watch this. This is Tyson's first fight. Like, look, you see Peter McNeely's kind of looking down, and you look over at Tyson. Look at his eyes oh, following. Oh, yeah, look at that. That is fucking terrifying. If you're looking at that, and you know you're about <laughs> to fight Mike Tyson, and he's smiling and trying to, like... He's trying to, like, make light of it. Oh, my God. And he looks just like a prison guard. Dude, he so is. So easy. Oh, yeah, he does. Peter yeah. McNeely does. That same hair. Prison guard. <laughs> That's prison guard hair. After the Charlie that Green Sheen. Mile hair. Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I sat next green to. Green Mile hair. <laughs> <laughs> I sat next to Tyson at, at, after the, at the uh, Charlie Sheen roast and made a lot of jokes about him. And uh, afterwards, Dice called me. I didn't really know Dice at the time. He called me like a couple weeks later. He's like, Jeff, it's Dice. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, basically said that he couldn't believe I said those things to Mike Tyson. Like he was offended. I go, what do you mean? What, what? He's like, do you have any idea what that animal could have done to you? <laughs> you were two feet away. <laughs> and then we've been friends ever since. That's, but I didn't think about I didn't think I didn't think about Tyson. He seemed like a pussycat at the time. At the time, but if that was Tyson from like 1986, I think if I watched a, an old fight, yeah. <laughs> Look at you. By the end of the night, I'm literally like laughing into his lap. Well, once and he loved it. Yeah, oh yeah, he loved he it. He could take jokes. He could take jokes. Oh yeah. But you wouldn't want said, to be doing that. I said, that. imagine if, I said, I don't want to piss you off, Mike. If you would do that to your face, imagine what you would do to mine. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically the only celebrity to ever pull off a face mask, right? A face tattoo. I thought, no, Who else has well, done it? What celebrity? A few now, Charles Manson. Well, those those mumble yeah. rapper dudes, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Post Malone type characters. Yeah, Takashi sixty nine. But he was the first by a long stretch. And I, you're saying pulled off, as if uh, he oh, pulled that Gucci. off. He's still Mike Tyson. Gucci. You know what I mean? Ho Gucci Mane? Oh, that's right. He had the ice cream cone. Was that first, though? I, I feel know, like Tyson was wow. first. Wow. close, probably, at the same time. Though. Wow, that's a commitment. Look at that. that really I don't think Gucci be... has that on his face anymore. There's new pictures. It How looks like get it, that off? That'll get you, you out of jury get duty. removed. <laughs> yeah, they they can laser that shit off. But I haven't... But it I, looks like I somebody carved that into his face. It doesn't even look like a tat. Well, that's because it's fresh. Because that's like right after it got oh, it's made. Still it's still there? Yeah, it's just not as uh, bright. Let me see that. See? Now, My man's got an ice cream cone on his face. But now it's yogurt. It's is a that, different time. Is that today, though? Yeah, he's got more tats, too. Oh, there. so they're all over the place. Yeah, that dude's always smiling. Ever since he got out of jail, he seems like the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> sure. For real. He's got a beautiful They kind of look good on him. They look, the tattoos look good on so, him. So, but why is there ice cream, like, right there? Like, does he have a tongue where he's like, hey, look, I can <laughs> look at ice cream? No, because then he would only be able to lick the bottom part. 
he wouldn't even get the real ice cream. I would just put get the, the ice cone. cream cone somewhere else. Damn, he's got a lot of tattoos. Yeah, well, he looks good though. But the pearls take some of the mean out of the. What's tats. the highest tattoo you have to your face? Uh, it goes up to my shoulder. Both arms, basically the same. So you can see all your tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any other ones. Just these. No tattoos, Jeff. I'm thinking of getting a tramp stamp. Dave and I are going to nice. get them. So <laughs> you're going to say, come on. Mine says free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Mine's going to say too legit to shit. <laughs> I'm going out. I'm going with watch out gerbil ahead. <laughs> Art Shafir has keep on trucking tattooed on his side. Oh, does he? <laughs> In Hebrew. No. <laughs> it's his only tattoo. It's preposterous. Keep on trucking? Yeah. That Have you seen sense. it, Art? I, Have I you seen that. it, Jamie? Yeah, he's got a keep on trucking tattoo. I'm right about this, right? I, I don't know. I was looking for You know who else has keep tattoos. on trucking? Who used to have it? It was Tony Danza. He used to have, like, keep on trucking. That was, like, a thing that people used to say. They well, I remember. Cool. I mean, I, I'm sure I had a keep on trucking patch or T-shirt. Yeah, a T-shirt or jacket. <laughs> a hat. Like, what was that? What was going on that keep on trucking? Hang in there, baby. That was one, right? Keep on trucking. But nobody had hanging. Well, I'm sure people got hanging their baby tattoos, right? Why am I saying nobody? I'm sure, Joe, somebody done it. What do you got? This is a bumping my cat. Shut the fuck up. Is that C- mine? Yeah, you can put it near your Dave's old porn hat that I. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I don't that even have one of these. Fun, man. Yeah, you do. I've given you two of them already. Dude, that show was fun. That was a good one, Joe. You really rocked that show. It was fun. That was a great show. They should have never take that off the air. Bumping mics. Yeah. But I hope it's not a. Uh, I hope it's not a bad. Like I give him always a hat from every show. He always helps me out, and That's it's like they go nowhere. The shows. <laughs> That's not true. No, this one's Listen, a hit. This is I gonna, feel it, Dave. I'm hoping. Dave, this on, is man. our moment. Buddy. I don't believe in that kind of jinxes. This is our moment. <laughs> this is the, the talk of flip phone people. You worry about a gypsy voodoo. curse. Don't give There's a no, hat <laughs> out. <laughs> no. You talk about your last special took a long time to get together. This took took us a couple like, of years. Well, not even. It was. It came together pretty quick from Montreal to a year later we shot it. But, like, I feel like it's also, like, about our a friendship or whatever you want to call it for 25 years. So it kind of puts a... Puts a, a nice button on it. I don't know. It's the first button, maybe. What are you doing over there? You're I'm pouring things up, into a bag. I just don't want to leave my ashes here. Oh, here. Dave has on. a lot of weird cigarette, <laughs> coffee kind of straw. I'm so like, you letting me smoke in here was like thank you. Dude. I think if oh, no if, problem. I'm glad it worked. The thing he, works great. If, oh, if, low, if any, there's any like low spectrum people watching our show, you can just watch Dave and his cigarettes. <laughs> You'll learn a lot. In about. My weird. Um, Phobias. Well, Dice was the reason why I put it in. Like if Dice is How much is guest, he smoking now? He doesn't smoke as much I don't as he used to. I haven't I haven't seen him in quite a while, but last time he did the podcast, was he did, did he smoke the last time or the time before that? He takes time off, I think. For a while he would just bring him on stage. He's smoking. He's smoking. Smoking a lot? I saw him I came on his new podcast recently and um It's I'm over here. He made me right? he made me pretend he was half an hour late. Even though I was ten minutes late, <laughs> he had a whole bit worked out where I had to go in the studio and just wait and talk to myself, basically. And then he has to come in pretending he's late. That's that was his whole, that was the only direction <laughs> for an hour and a half. It's so funny, man. That's he hilarious. cracks me up so much. My first time, so my second time headlining was opening for Ray Romano in Poughkeepsie, <laughs> and Dice is at the height of his fame. I'm dressed like him, like you had to be to even get work, and it's like I'm a Jersey comic, 1990, 91, and Dice is at the 
at the uh, Poughkeepsie Civic Center right next door to the comedy club. And, uh, and our hotel, we heard Dice was staying there. People were pulling the <laughs> fire alarms. It's like It was like the biggest band. He's a rock star, yeah. So they were pulling fire alarms trying to get everybody to evacuate. Yeah, and just Dice. so Dice would come out, right? Wow. He cut, fi- finally, our show, on a, his show's on Saturday, Friday night now. Ray Romano's headlining at Poughkeepsie, whatever club. Bananas? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember that place. And just, I'm up there, I'm doing my 10, 12 minute opening, and through the darkness, this guy I kind of recognized from, like, you know, news articles was uh, Club Soda Kenny. Comes through the darkness with a note. (laughs) Friday night. And uh, the note just says, please welcome the undisputed king of comedy, Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> so as I read it, and the place goes, wah, 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 right? Like, oh so Dice yeah. walks on stage. He does whatever, like a 15-minute guest set. The crowd goes crazy. They loved it. And then I learned a lot, actually. Ray Romano came up as the headliner who was not known at all. He wasn't mm. on TV yet. And killed. Ray's He's a still great doing comic. His props. But I really learned, like, oh, you know what? The audience will follow, will, will watch a great comic no matter what just happened. Ray was in his prime back then, too. Oh. I opened up for Ray at Jimmy's Comedy Alley in Queens. Yep. And Ray was, that was when Ray was just, he had done HBO. He'd done something on HBO, but he was just a machine, man. People like, people didn't realize how, I mean, it's, it's he is like a great he's comic. one of those guys that yeah. people don't talk about when they talk about like great stand-up comics because right. he hasn't put a lot of stuff out there in a long time ever since Everybody Loves Raymond. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he, a lot of stuff as far as the stand-up. He Somebody, just shot a Netflix special at The Cellar, yeah. too. So that uh, should be coming out soon. But you're right. He hasn't put out anything it. until I think this is like his first real hour. So I, he, I know he was working with Kevin James. They did a bunch of gigs together. So I'm, I'm friends with Kevin. No, he goes, yeah. on, he goes and, on the road. But he still murders, was my point. That's right. I heard he still murders. He is a great comic. He was always so funny, and you could always kind of, someone once described it, like you could airdrop him anywhere in his act will kill. Yeah. Like yeah, anywhere in America. Yeah. Before people were Relatable. Really, we're all kind of the same. Like we all kind of listen to the same stuff now, but. He's another guy Like, couldn't be a nicer guy. Yeah. Like one of the nicest he guys. He's the best. He's always time. been really cool to me. And, always. And you know, like. Through the height of his fame, never changed for a second. Mm-hmm. Isn't it kind of weird how the assholes sort of disappear eventually? You don't even know where they evaporate to. Well, when. I'm still here. You know, you're talking, Sorry, Dave. <laughs> you were talking about you're a comedian you know, almost before you're an American, right? Yeah. That's when. And that doesn't mean I don't love people? my. Com- I'm not trying to right. act like I'm very. Oh no, no, in love no, with no, where no. I live. Of course, of course. I I know, you're just saying you're too. so attached to being a comedian. It's and in I'm, my blood, right? In a way that. Well, you feel how, more comfortable with comics. Yeah. And how devastated would it be if the other comics didn't want you around? <laughs> right? That's yeah, man without a country. That's that's where it gets fucking dark, man. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's where it gets. So anybody who falls into that group, like you've you've fucked up. Like the whole thing is to be friends with the comedians. Yeah, the yeah. hang is what yeah. it's about. You know, how, the hang. So how did you feel? Let me ask you. How did you feel when you were in self? Um, you know, you you pulled yourself out of the world at a comedy store where you started. Did you feel like on a desert island by yourself, or did you find community 
at the other clubs or I never found the same thing uh, but I just kept working and I was yeah. always working with Ari and Joey and Duncan I still kept working with those guys so I it was like I was working with most of the same comics and I was just doing practice sets at the Ice House and at the Improv and I remember all that it just to me it was more it was you know the hang was not the same the like, hang no, is I would do my sets at the Improv and just get the fuck out of there there's no place to hang out it's not like the same now you get to do f- four shows you get to do stand up on the spot roast battle main room uh or and whatever you'd figure out in the parking lot without ever had, and then a podcast in the basement you can you could literally if you put a gym in there you'd probably never leave yeah. you literally could do everything in that place you could do three i've done three shows no i've done four shows in a night because one night i did two sets in the main room one set in the belly room and one set in the or because it was two I, shows that's crazy Dave, i've had to Saturday follow night. this motherfucker so many times everything i ever taped with you on this show mm-hmm. i developed follow, having to try to follow him wow like steamrolling like civilization everything from harvey weinstein to like his own <laughs> inner fucking craziness that's that's uh all in 20 minutes so it's like the crowds <laughs> the crowds you know like like uh get spoiled when they see so many great acts like just come by and just like <laughs> for like 10 bucks 20 bucks whatever they get to see you know chris rock yeah. you know you joe and like just like people dropping by and working on stuff they're like is it like this all the time like you don't even get it you just saw a 500 dollars show for like you know two drinks you know well, I always say that to the people at the cellar too. If you're a fan of comedy, it's it's a fun yeah, time. That's it's what Christmas I, and New Year's right together. But I attribute all this to the thing that you hate. But I think it's the, the internet. Web? The internet did all this. That's this true. This is the reason why everybody's aware of how fun it is to go to a live comedy show. How fun it is to watch guys like they'll go to see you at the store and then they'll go to see you again six months later and go, oh, that fucking. Why don't you credit bit. Comedy Central and HBO and Showtime and Netflix and That's definitely True TV true. and all the ones oh, that air these specials? Comedy Central definitely Netflix made it. for sure. Comedy Central for sure. All those things definitely attribute to it. But what about YouTube, Evening at the Improv? YouTube is one of the biggest factors. The fact that people can watch stand up on YouTube—that's a giant factor. The amount of people that are watching YouTube is off the charts, and the fact that they can just type in right now, Jeff stand-up comedy boom and instantaneously get it right and a lot of those clips come from comedy central right, right. and hbo and all those right. other places which is great it's like it's all it all contributes not one thing that did it but i think the one big important factor was this new channel of distribution and that's the internet whether it's netflix which is probably one of the biggest thing right now for stand-up comedy specials ever Right, and there's yeah. never been a thing like Netflix. Well, like look what HBO we're doing. Was three, great. three episodes. It's yeah, like exactly. Who else would let you do that? We, well, we, well, it think takes about the pressure off like one shiny special. You know, right. like you can do. Be more creative with how you uh, present your art. Oh yeah. Well, if you wanted to do a two-parter next time, you could. But you don't have did. to narrow it. Right. Ari did. With That's his, right. That last, yeah. Not the two. current one that he's working on right now, but the last one. That's right. Two, in negative. the same place. Yeah. Yeah, that Ari is so good, man. He's out That's there. That's what He's our Forbes review was Fantastic. like harping on was that like the comedy special is completely reinvented lately. You could but do it as a series. You could do whatever you want. That's but as the, the comedy thing. fan, Netflix is perfect because you know you don't have to. You know, you get to control what you see, you know, and you can watch it and stop it and and oh, watch yeah. it more. You can't even stop it. <laughs> I was watching our show when it came out last night. I was just laying in bed watching our new show because I was by myself. It's just. 
And like That's when it. it gets to the end of the episodes, you gotta know where that remote is. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. watching the, the next one. The next one comes right at you. <laughs> they just try to get you to binge. Come on, you. I don't binge? understand. It's we like, whoa, episode. slow down, man. I, Come on, <laughs> we got another episode. Our our first episode ends with Dave just looking in the camera and being like, "Our next episode starts at five four three. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that you gotta see the new Mike Judge. Uh, animated show about country music called yes, what is it called? Stories. I'm with the band. What is it called? Oh, wow. Road stories from Road something. Stories. That Road sounds stories. great. Yeah, he so, is another guy, man. That it's guy is so to talented. Be phenomenal. My I friend my Steve Ranella was just talking about it on his podcast. What is it called? Tales, Tales from the Tour Bus. Tales, yes. Tales from the Tour Bus is supposed mm-hmm. to be insanely funny. Yeah, it's about like country George mu- Jones and yeah. all those guys. But it's all like gunplay and drugs mm-hmm. and chaos, country music stuff. And then they animate like the story. It's really cool. He really is a talented guy, man. Funk music greats. This one? Uh, yes, that's it. Here's one. Oh, but wait, it's... I thought it was all country guys. Yeah, I thought so too, but there's a different. There's, oh, maybe so it's, it's like just, separate seasons. Oh, or click something. on that. The Highwayman. Click on Highwayman. Oh, so that's with uh, Willie, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Oh, Mal- oh Spotify. Yeah, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, and Johnny Cash. That's an episode. Damn. But yeah, that's so just a song. Highwayman. So that's the song. No, that's the group. The Highwayman when yeah, they all got together. That's that song. That mega group. Yeah, but but that's not an episode of the, yeah, the show. Is, it is. This, is. this is a playlist of songs oh, from the oh, tour bus show. Oh, so oh, that's oh, the, yeah, that's the oh, confusion. So I went to I, the webpage here and oh, I get it. Okay, David, this must be a new season where they're using the seventies people. Do you know that song, Highwaymen? Yeah, I it's fly a, great... a starship <laughs> across the universe divide. And when I reach the other side, that's a creepy song, right? It's about uh, yeah reincarnation and dudes. Yeah, you never into fade the away. Dam. Yeah. Guy fell into people the built, Dam. built this country. Yeah. Blood sweating. But getting them all together, I wonder what that was like. Was I know, cool. right? Those those guys Willie, singing. How's it going? Listen, how's young Gunner doing? You know. Boys, it's already three thirty. Oh wow. Time flies. Rogan, when you're this is amazing, around. man. When everything Joe. we do is like you get two minutes or Yeah, what a great <sighs> hang, man. It's just so fun to be able to express yourself and Thank you. Well, it's so fun to have you guys on. I fucking loved it. I wish you were here more often. We could do this anytime you want to do it. Dude, you you know, you're good to us, but you're great to comedy. And honestly, I have to tell you, you know, you for the young guys, when they heard that I was going to be on here, they were like basically creaming because you're, you're, you are the shit. You really are, man. Well, so you're thank the you. shit, you fuck. Stop making me feel bad. No, Listen, dude. You're, both of you are the shit. You're helping you got to come on stage with us sometime I'll do it. and yeah, bump do mics it. with us. I'll bump mics. Bring your hat. I'll do it. I'll, I have a bump in mics. How come he has a hat, hat? I don't you have, have a fucking hat. You have two of them already. I, I gave it away to somebody who helped Netflix will hook you up. They'll give you one with Velcro. It's even better. I like Velcro. It's nice. Oh, yeah. p- exact right amount of distance. You know, you don't have to rely on those buttons. <laughs> Rogan's got to pick up his kids and take them yes. out for elk tacos. I can only so imagine the amount of merch your kids have to, you know, come on, put on this this shirt, all the merch that people bring in. Yeah, I don't Kids, take grab it. your bow and <laughs> arrow. We're going out here. for dinner. We have, a, we have a warehouse full of it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, David Tell, you can find him on Twitter, but he doesn't use the internet. Uh, the real Jeff Ross is you on Instagram, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. You're David Tell on Instagram. Do you ever? Yeah, do you yeah, still yeah. Post I'm, stuff? I'm in there. Yeah. That iPhone too. And uh, a shout out to all the uh, uh, what you call? I did a, a food drive in uh, Philly the other day. 
uh, Preston and Steve. It was awesome. Oh, and, nice. Uh, I love those guys. Yeah, they really are cool. And this is like one of the biggest ones in the country. It was great to be a part of it. So many cool comics there. So uh, just uh, thank you again for having it, for David showing Tell, up. Tell, beautiful human being. Jeffrey Ross, beautiful person. Love thank you, you, bud. Love you guys. Bye.